evening. Uh, let's call the November board uh, meeting of the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees to order. Trustee DeVries. I am here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Avalada is not here today. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Peterson. Here. Trustee Shequin. Here. We have a quorum. All right. Uh, first, we have our um, medical staff reports. Uh, we, uh, pardon me? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, no, we don't have public comment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dr. Ingenio, it looks like you're the one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm guy, sorry. Okay. <laughs> We're still going to let you go first. Uh, let's hear from Sam Leandro. Fine. So we had our. Um, oh, and please do speak into your mic sorry. tonight, especially. Thank you. Sorry. <clears throat> we had our physician leadership meeting this month, and also I attended the MEC, and a number of the other members of primarily Highland physicians also do attend the the um, physician leadership meeting. And the concerns we had, and these were discussed in QPSC, were. Uh, mainly around specialty coverage, neurology, and psychiatry, because we're using the psychiatrist um, locally in the middle of December, as well as epic concerns with efficiencies, um, both OR and uh, outside the OR. Um, there have been big concerns that uh, I think are slowly resolving, but still there are things that are inefficient. There are things that are working quite well, though, I might add. Um, and um, the, uh, the final thing that I had a concern about was also just continued engagement of the community physicians, especially in the operating room, to keep that volume up and uh, keep that workflow. I think the other um, item which a number of the board members were in attendance was the open house for the new rehab uh, facility as well as I had a chance to view some of the new beds that will be online for MedSurge. I think that's exciting and good, and perhaps a way I suggested to engage some of the community physicians, especially maybe orthopedics, because rehab will be right there. Um, so those were my main concerns, uh, or our main discussions. Great, thank um, you. I don't know if the other board members who were in the QPSC had some comments. There were some related to the psychiatry 5150, et cetera, which will concern, uh, continue to evaluate. Uh, trustees, any questions, comments? I think um, uh, Delvecchio gave Make sure you speak into oh. your mic and if you could identify yourself. For the EHR troubleshooting, Delvecchio offered to give um, the physician a direct contact number to be able to expedite that. So. He's already done so. He already done that, okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I thought the rehab facility was gorgeous. Uh, it's so exciting that it's opening. And uh, look forward to a, a whole new chapter at San Leandro Hospital. I hope. I think so. I think it'll be great. All right. Um, Dr. Marzuk, you want to talk to us about Alameda now that you have your mouth full? Sure. Sapphire uh, implementation. Please definitely use the mic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the main issues were Sapphire impl em em <coughs> excuse me, implementation as uh, progressing with uh, some hiccups, but overall we're getting through it. Um, also, issue of GI coverage, 
uh, and urology coverage is being addressed so that hopefully we'll get someone based uh, at Alameda uh, as uh, I understand that uh, uh, they're getting a new gastroenterologist which will hopefully start in, in March which will be based in Alameda and uh, again the uro urology uh, challenges and some uh, issues of uh, podiatry uh, coverage for the uninsured patients uh, that's being addressed. And uh, uh, we had the anesthesia's contract uh, expires the end of uh, November, and there's a, there's a process of transition. We have coverage through, through the end of uh, the year, uh, but uh, there's a process of transitioning towards uh, uh, an arrangement with uh, the uh, AHS anesthesiologists and, and uh, other anesthesiologists that might come up. And that's uh, been about it. All right. Thank you. Uh, sure. Trustees, any questions for Albion Hospital? Nope. Okay. Dr. Hearn, you're here stepping in for Dr. Ballard. I had my own the last minute and woefully inadequate compared to Dr. Ballard's well, institution. Your name tag does not match. <laughs> Let, let's hear about the core. Uh, so um, the most pressing issues in the last month have been um, helping to get uh, neurology coverage um, at uh, San Leandro Hospital. We've, uh, with the Department of Medicine's help, uh, expanded that coverage. We're actually also um, investigating some telepsychiatry um, options uh, uh, in that facility as well, based on some work that's been done. Telepsychiatry has actually been done um, sort of throughout California in different ways for a long time. And uh, so we're sort of investigating that and, and working on that process as well. Um, as uh, uh, Dr. Blard said at QPSC, I think that the most pressing concerns or the most interesting issues right now uh, are uh, diversity. There's been, um, you know, we, uh, the AHS has launched a, um, a diversity task force or uh, mm -hmm. campaign uh, to sort of to get a, a number of uh, stakeholders together to, um, to discuss the issue and, and to, to, to bring about uh, a more active and robust discussion. And um, I've heard that the meetings have gone great uh, and it's been, you know, well attended by, by both um, at the medical staff level, but also there's even a resident representative from um, emergency medicine who has been present and uh, said that the meeting was, was, was good and very helpful. So uh, that's really positive and, and we're really excited about that. Um, I think as was mentioned at QPSC that the issue um, with Epic now, uh, with Sapphire, is the sort of recognition that it is, um, we are in the optimization stage, which means that not everything is running perfectly. Um, and we're recognizing that there are things to be Adjusted, um, but that being that fully expecting, uh, but it's uh, but from the emergency department's perspective, we're incredibly just we're we're so joyful to be able to see records from other hospitals. Um, so <laughs> it's it's absolutely changed our lives, and that part has been fantastic. Um, but yes, it, it's it's clearly we are in a stage where we are um, we are adjusting our expectations uh, and still looking for some tweaks here and there. But overall, I think we're finding it much. Uh, uh, a, a much better system overall, and uh, so thank you. Okay, uh, trustees, any questions for the core? Just a follow-up question, Trustee Shaquem. Thank you. When you say other hospitals, are you referring to other hospitals in our system or outside our system? Um, both, actually. So we are. We have 
we have access uh, because it's the same um, EHR. We have access to the uh, the records at, at Alameda and, and San Leandro. But more importantly, um, it, you know, part of the challenge is, is that um, frequently patients will arrive because they are trauma patients um, and they don't frequent AHS traditionally. Uh, they may have outside insurance, and so their records are at Kaiser. Um, or at the Sutter system, or at Stanford or UCSF, and um, Epic has a feature called Care Everywhere, which allows you to see those records instantly um, from the other hospitals. And that, honestly, in my opinion, that's probably one of the best things about choosing Epic over any uh, over the alternative. Um, in that most hospitals in Northern California are on Epic, um, at least in the Bay Area. Um, it also changed, allowed us to have a faster learning curve because most of us, uh, our, our residents, um, have used Epic in other places. Um, so, but it allows us to see patient records at other hospitals instantly. That's going to be a major phenomenal and valuable yes. game changer. Game changer. Well, I don't have to call call a friend at another hospital and say, "Hey, look up those records." Now, not that that would ever happen, but, uh, <laughs> but um, it allows me to uh, to have instant digital access to their cardiology records or their prior CT scans or their neurology notes from their. So if someone's in the is a trauma patient. They've come in in crisis. Trustee Shikun, I just want to remind you of our instructions tonight. We have a sign interpreter. So if you could identify oh, yourself sorry. and speak carefully into the microphone yes. when interjecting, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Great. Thank you. Uh, Trustee Shikun asking a follow-up question related to uh, just trying to understand the value of this because this sounds incredible. It, it is truly stunning. Um, and so in the in the Epic workflow, there's a tab that says Care Everywhere, and you can click on that and pull up records from Stanford, Kaiser, Sutter, um, and because it involves that patient, it allows much better care. Um, I think it improves our quality. It, you know, it, it improves patient safety. If, come, if someone comes in and they are altered and not able to give you any history, you can actually pull up their allergies. Uh, and their prior records. It, it, that is a game changer. So in terms of increasing patient safety and quality, it's 100%. I, I might add also, um, Dr. Ingenio, um, that uh, you can do care everywhere. And actually, I'm on a completely different EMR in my office. And you can pull up our office notes frequently on the same patient, believe it or not. We're on an EMR called Athena. And, and it actually interfaces with care everywhere as well through Epic. Mm -hmm. Great. Good. Thank you. Okay. Uh, any other comments about the medical reports? All right. Uh, I will move on to uh, my board president report. Uh, I'm going to keep it really short. I just It feels like we were just here three weeks ago, right? <laughs> It's a, short month. it's a short month because of Thanksgiving. Um, so we've done very little uh, since our last meeting. Um, the, the, one, the one big highlight I do want to uh, discuss is that um, uh, Trustee Banerjee and I had the opportunity, along with Terry and Del Vecchio, uh, to have a really exciting and productive meeting with Assemblymember Bonta. Uh, we discussed Alameda Hospital. We discussed uh, our uh, uh, labor uh, um, Challenges, and we also discussed our kind of big picture thinking about how the assembly member could help. 
the safety net system uh, by sponsoring legislation that could both provide funding for uh, the 2030 seismic uh, upgrades for public hospital systems, uh, how he could play a leadership role in really evaluating the, the healthcare needs on the island of Alameda. Um, it, was, uh, it was a good meeting, and um, I think we just need to keep that dialogue going. I know we have a report about further legislative engagement later in the agenda. And I just think um, we encourage all of the board members to think about the relationships you have with elected officials and how we can make our work more relevant to them and urgent to them um, all the time. Uh, and uh, especially these changing political times. Uh, with that, I, I really don't have a whole lot else to say unless people want to grill me about anything. <laughs> no. Nope. Careful what you what, ask for. What about our retreat schedule? Did oh, you want to talk well, about well, that? Yes, the retreat schedule I think is a separate. Okay. Is it a separate item? I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I have an idea for the retreat, but we'll get to that um, under F1. <laughs> so we'll get to that later. Okay. I'll, I'll turn it over to our CEO, Del Vecchio. Okay, uh, good evening trustees, um, um, clinical leaders and, and guests. Um, I want to start as we do every year in November. Uh, we have um, Veterans Day, obviously, and uh, we are fortunate in AHS to have a, a, a plethora across our organization for clinical and non-clinical role of, of men and women who have served our country proudly. And uh, this year we did a little bit different, and so we're going to show you a snippet of uh, what's a little bit longer video that I hope you've seen through social media, but in the interest of time, we'll just show you a brief snippet of how we've done it this year, which I thought was remarkable. said, uh, we're very fortunate uh, that video actually goes on for about five minutes, uh, uh, reflecting all the um, uh, members of our workforce who, again, have served our um, armed forces in our country uh, very dutifully, and uh, we, we thank them for their service, and it's a real honor to have them uh, in our 
in our midst, I, I would say. Um, so uh, keeping with the spirit of, of making sure we get through everything in a timely fashion this evening, uh, I will go through the usual updates, uh, including our TNM, uh, True North Metrics, our mission moments, and, and then an abbreviated uh, SAFAR update, uh, but certainly happy to go into any detail as uh, time warrants and your interests uh, um, um, desire. Uh, for the Truth North Metrics, uh, as is usual, we send this to you in advance. There's a lot of detail that goes behind this, some of which, much of which we discuss in QPSC, but other areas uh, uh, as well uh, that are reflected here. So uh, as I normally do, I'll pause and see if there were any questions about where we stand uh, currently for year-to-date and performance uh, along any of our pillars. Thank you. And uh, mission moments, I just uh, called forward uh, two this month that I wanted to share with you, one of which has gone into, but uh, this one has been reflected, actually both of which now. Uh, we've talked about the launching of our Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion uh, Steering Committee. I want to thank um, uh, Trustee Hernandez, who co-chairs this group with me, and um, Trustee Banerjee, who actually serves on the committee as well. In addition to the broad swath of our organization, a lot of clinical leaders, uh, our physicians, uh, a couple of nursing and other uh, representatives, and our non-clinical uh, staff members across various parts of the organization. We also have two members uh, of the community who are serving this committee. Uh, one is uh, the head of the uh, Department of Public Health for the county who has a rich uh, um, uh, experience base to really inform our work in this space, as well as a member, uh, or a member who uh, works for the Public Health Institute uh, based here in Alameda County, who does a lot of work around um, equity and inclusion, uh, particularly from a workforce perspective. So uh, I really want to thank them for their participation as well as our, our workforce and look forward to this uh, work proceeding and uh, really excited about the recommendations and the dashboard that will come forward from this work. Uh, the second you've uh, known about, uh, uh, which is that we launched the grand opening of our acute rehab unit. Uh, which we won't actually uh, uh, move patients from uh, uh, Fairmont to this space until next month, uh, at about two or three weeks now. Uh, but the latest, hot off the press, as of yesterday, uh, we had our review by the CDPH, which was one of the final steps to being able to move the unit, and they have given us the green light. So uh, since even our last visit. Uh, great news and uh, continuous along the trajectory that has really been, and uh, one of your reports reflect, uh, about a year in the making of work since this board approved uh, this movement and the associated actions with the medical staff consolidation and the licensure um, uh, consolidation uh, roughly around this time last year. So a lot of arduous work and really across the board, really thank everybody uh, for helping us to move this along. And we will have um, uh, a wonderful unit that I think we can be proud of for serving our patients. Uh, some of you saw some of the innovative uh, services that we are able to offer. Uh, our patients who are rehabbing in this space and a great partnership uh, um, with our, um, our partners with Rehab Care, of which there's a contract uh, renewal uh, that has um, uh, passed through Finance Committee and is before you this evening as well. And those are the two mission moments I've brought forth, and then I'll proceed to our EPIC update um, and uh, go through the usual course. I'll zip through some of these slides. Again, uh, they'll be available for you. Uh, and if there's any questions, I'm happy to entertain them. And our CIO, Mark Amy, is here as well uh, to help out with that. 
Um, I want to remind folks, and this came up in QPSC, and actually a little bit, I appreciate the conversation earlier for, it's always important for us to remember the why. This this EHR endeavor has been a really significant uh, uh, endeavor for us, a very costly endeavor in terms of uh, uh, financial uh, uh, investment, but a very rewarding investment in the short term, immediate term, I would say, in the long term. And the whys really fall under two big uh, uh, categories. One is to deliver on our unwavering commitment to do what's best for our patients and, and the community we serve. And um, leveraging this robust technology uh, allows us to deliver better care, greater convenience, and an enhanced patient experience, all of which are uh, significant strategic endeavors for us as a system, uh, and all of which require the collaborative uh, commitment on the part of our uh, community members, our board, and our workforce to really uh, deliver on. And so we thank you for that. Uh, and it has been an arduous effort and will continue. We're, we're in, uh, as was mentioned earlier, our stabilization phase actually to the end of December. Uh, and then we go to optimization uh, therefore, and you'll see that call for it in the slides. So post-live or stabilization is where we are now. Uh, optimization comes next, but some of you remember uh, almost two years ago, we were at the beginning of this curve, so it's uh, been a really um, a long and rewarding journey for us to be here, and there's a lot more to go. Uh, we do still get monthly reports from Epic, and in the month of uh, October, October, which was the crux of our uh, go-live month, uh, Epic has given us a watch, which is, I think, the third time, if I understand correctly, uh, that we've gotten here, and you know, we don't view uh, watch status as a um, as a dire uh, uh, signal, but it is a signal for us from Epic, who partners very closely with us, that we need to pay careful attention to certain things. And uh, we don't like getting watch status, but we take it very seriously. And uh, we have highlighted the three areas or reasons why, um, the driving reasons why we're in watch status uh, this month uh, or for the month in question. We're now almost at the end of November. I'm happy to say that all of these areas are getting very active, focused attention. And two of the three, we're largely um, addressed and then the third one has been under under work so um, uh, these are largely all financially uh, driven uh, and is somewhat expected as we talked about the sort of cycle of the go live you get up from the patient care perspective you have the lag time of uh, patient care being delivered that then gets translated to um, bills that you get to send out or have to send out there's a little bit of a whole period and you're working through all those workflows and work cues to get those bills dropped and then get them through the revenue cycle so uh, some of the areas that were reflected here were some of the hiccups that we experience in the early goings. Uh, the first one has been uh, fully addressed and we're waiting on now the reimbursements but all those charges as has been um, uh, noted have been um, um, worked on and I want to thank our partners with the Alliance who worked very closely with us to uh, address a issue that was in the sort of after it gets out of our door and as it comes into their door uh, um, uh, window that we didn't catch in our pre-work which sort of validated that we were ready to go, but there was a little bit of formatting and how the claims get edited and um, sent through to them that uh, wasn't uh, detected before we went live. So uh, we got that uh, addressed uh, in an intermediate fashion. There is a long-term fix that we're still working on, uh, but we do have the spigot open now and the bills are dropped and being worked on. Uh, the second is the one that we're still working on, which is a significant amount of edits that we're working through um, um, that are kind of driven by a lot of different uh, issues 
issues in the revenue cycle chain, uh, but a lot of active focus on the part of the finance team, IT team, and the upstream uh, operations team to work through this piece. Uh, the claims acceptance rate, um, um, it's interesting, it's low because it's at 90, um, 92 and 90, uh, with the expectation being at 95, so there's a really high threshold for claims acceptance, uh, which we honor and think is appropriate, uh, and we weren't that far off, but we were, in fact, off, and we bounced in and out of that, but we're continuing to work through that um, uh, to get that uh, uh, remediated and reliably at the 95% level. Uh, key activities, I won't go through all of these. I'll point out two. Um, uh, Epic does a series of, I think, three uh, post-live uh, post visits where, again, as a part of the partnership and collaboration, they come on site, kind of do some deeper dives with us to see how it's going, and that's very important in that optimization and stabilization period. So the first one is actually coming up in two weeks, the first week of December, and so we're getting ready for that. It involved pre-surveys to all of our end users to see how it's going, where may there be areas for continuing um, investment in terms of training and uh, workflow improvement uh, that we we would uh, continue to work on ourselves and in collaboration with Epic. Uh, again, a lot of those in the finance area, but some of those in the operational uh, areas as well. We're looking forward to that, those visits and the, um, the feedback and outcome that come from those that will help us to continue our work in partnership with Epic. Uh, the other one I'll point out is the My Alameda Health, which is our patient portal. Uh, there was some discussion a bit earlier in QPSC about this. Um, you can see we continue to grow both in terms of the number of patients who have successfully enrolled in uh, the portal so that they are actively receiving uh, real-time data uh, on their own care and enabling them to uh, be better advocates for themselves and uh, connect with our care teams uh, using that uh, p p um, portal. Um, the other piece is growing, meaning there's a lot more people who we are reaching out to and encouraging or inviting them to actually uh, uh, enroll in the system. So both of those numbers uh, have grown and uh, that's to be expected. So we're excited about that and we are getting, as uh, you sh heard earlier, largely from Dr. Uh, Bavaria, uh, but others active engagement with people, uh, one, being able to see their records and accessing it and, and looking at those things, scheduling appointments, as well as communicating uh, with their care team. So very excited about that. And then a couple of other uh, uh, things that we're continuing to uh, monitor in advance as well. Performance metrics, I briefly say uh, these are a series of um, um, work orders that are coming through or uh, um, what say, uh, requests that go through to our help desk uh, for various sundry issues or, or, or um, requests. Um, um, what you can see from the trend is that the number of requests have uh, gone down, those are the bars, and then the uh, resolution of those requests, which is sort of the uh, counterbalancing piece, are, are continuing to remain high, uh, such that the, those resolutions of the requests are up, but there is still a number of them that are there, and those are more uh, thorny or systemic issues that take a little bit more time to work through. Um, I think it's important to point out here that, uh, that this is a um um, what do I say, a symbiotic uh, piece, as was mentioned, uh, Dr. Ingenio, which we appreciate, pointed out that some of the feedback you've gotten when you uh, have put through help desk tickets, which we encourage, uh, is that a ticket has been resolved, and if it's not resolved to your satisfaction, uh, we want to make sure that's happening, and so we will make sure that we're following up with you and others to make sure that uh, that's taking place, but uh, uh, we, we are uh, pleased overall with the trend and the trajectory uh, of what's happening in this space. 
um, coming up. Uh, I mentioned this already, so I won't go into it again. Uh, Post-live visits, um, and uh, we're, we're starting to move towards, again, much more sort of systemic uh, uh, issues around governance and staffing and making sure that we are uh, appropriately sized and resourced to work in this post-live environment and structured, I should say, uh, to work in our post-live environment. Um, and there's some archiving work on our uh, legacy EHRs that are uh, underway as well. And um, I'm happy to say we're continuing to track uh, um, uh, in a favorable way to our budget. As we mentioned, a fair amount of that was a lot of the go-live support activities that we needed to invest. So we expected a lot of sort of back-end uh, expenses uh, for at-the-elbow support and other uh, con consultative activities that we needed. Uh, so we expect that when that gap of the $24 million uh, favorability to close uh, somewhat substantially uh, in the coming months. Uh, but still, as you can see, reflected here to stay favorable to uh, the budget that we laid out for the project. So um, I'm happy about that, uh, and uh, we uh, will be continuing to follow this closely. And with that, that concludes my report. So I'm happy to entertain questions about that or anything else that uh, you may have questions about. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. No questions. Wow. Is everyone... <coughs> Everyone's feeling short of words tonight. Um, what, what's next? So I guess, Dr. Bukelt, you're up for the Quality Professional Services Committee report. Thank you. I'm happy to give the report. The Quality Professional Services Committee met on October 24th. Get, get the mic a little closer to your mouth, please. Thank you. On October 24th, maybe it's a volume question. On October 24th, and uh, per our routine, we approved credentials and policies. At the chair's discussion, uh, two articles were introduced. The first article was called The Normalization of Deviance in Healthcare Delivery. Um, for those who care about quality work, as, uh, as our VP Quality, our CMO, care, cares about uh, dearly, of course, this should be standard reading for all of us who, who do this kind of work in healthcare. The other article is entitled, Why Deviance Becomes the New Normal in Healthcare Safety Practices. All of these, of course, relating to the theme of deviating from standards of care and then that, that slow shift away from standards. Trustee Hernandez made a very nice assertion uh, during that really robust discussion that in a high-functioning system, everyone, everyone who works within that system should feel empowered and not afraid uh, to identify errors. And I think that's, that's where we're trying to strive to get to. Uh, two very good articles we had. Nice discussion about that. We then went into the chief of staff reports. As per routine, I always ask them their, 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 the issues which are most on the forefront for them. Uh, I'll just put them as a nice mix of them. These included regular items, including the transfer center, um, relationships, especially between the physicians and the executive team, um, specialty care, uh, especially at Alameda Hospital, OR efficiencies at San Leandro Hospital, and last but not least, and perhaps most importantly, EPIC. And uh, there, there are varying uh, positions on this, but the, I would track them all in the optimistic side of the spectrum rather than the pessimistic side of the spectrum. As we're moving into stabilization, we're starting to say, oh, it doesn't work this way. But, um, but as Dr. Hearn alluded to, some of these uh, things that EPIC offers us are game-changing. And I think that's, that's really remarkable for us. We then moved to the acute uh, SBU report. This was given by Teresa Cooper who, and Ronica Shelton, who are the VPs of patient care services at uh, 
Highland and, uh, Alameda. Uh, and Alameda, respectively. Ronica's uh, main issues were, number one, plan of corrections. As you know, they were just undergoing some survey there, which they negotiated nicely. Negotiations, which they're still working through, and the patient experience. Teresa Cooper, having just heard the discussion about deviance in healthcare, just said one word, deviations. And uh, we have a lot of variance in practice. And, and one thing that Epic is going to allow us to is, is, is to better see where we are variant in practice. I think there's a lot of room to go as to, as to normalizing the data, making sure the data has good fidelity about it. But, but it's, it's great that we have leaders across all levels of the organization looking at dashboards now whereas before they didn't. Now, the dashboards may not be exactly where they need to be, as we discussed today, but, the, but it is actually a, a culture frame shift where you have the physicians of the organization looking at these dashboards, and I find that to be pretty powerful. We uh, uh, had a number of other reports, but I, I think one of the most poignant reports which uh, occurred was one of our ad hoc reports. It was the Wellness Task Force report. Lucky to have Dr. Hearn right here because Dr. Hearn has been the physician champion for this uh, uh, ever since his chief of staff hood. And uh, this, uh, this presentation was given by Dr. Lisa Rosequist, who's the director of provider wellness, and Jan Robertson. Uh, they gave an overview of this excellent new program to date and the impact it's already having on its providers. They also discussed the financial support for this uh, program in the setting of a potential 2% incentive from the Beta Heart Program. Now, the, the, the financial, uh, the business plan, if you will, for wellness still needs to be hammered out. But uh, right now, I believe there's currently a 0.5 FTE for Dr. Rosequist. Is that correct, Dr. Hearn? Uh, yes, that's, uh, that's correct. Okay. So, so as, uh, as this uh, program is already showing some preliminary positive impact, um, how do we as an organization discuss, discuss how we monetize uh, this for, for future viability? All, all great questions. Um, I always like to ask people what their asks are. Uh, Dr. Rosequist uh, said, number one, more FTE to help run her program. She's only currently 0 0.5. Wow. And she said, number two, a space for physicians for wellness. And um, there's not such a space here on the Highland campus. And she thought that that was a good point. Can I clarify? Uh, yes, Dr. Um, of course. This is Dr. Hearn. Um, my, the clarification would be that the wellness center would would it would be designed to encompass all um, all providers, uh, not only providers. I'm sorry, um, all employees. Really, okay. we actually had a follow up meeting, and and uh, the idea would be that anyone um, who works here who needs respite or needs uh, a moment to sort of refocus, regardless of their position, would would be welcome. Um, and this sort of breaks, it continues to break down barriers, and um, uh, we've actually been very encouraged by <coughs> members of ELT uh, to, to move forward with this proposal, and so we're looking forward to the next stages. Well, thanks for that update, <coughs> or, or, or the refresh of my memory. I appreciate it. With that, we closed out the committee. It was a very nice meeting. Thank you. That's my report. Thank you. Uh, Trustee Peterson, did you want to give an audit report? <laughs> It'll be very quick. Okay. Uh, we had our uh, audit meeting on uh, November 13th at 3. Uh, we had a presentation on our audit for last year. There was uh, no major exceptions noted. We received a good audit opinion, uh, and it's in the process of being distributed. Right. Uh, we, um, we also uh, uh, reviewed uh, audit uh, 
uh, companies for the next following three years and the recommendation was made that we proceed with the company we're currently using, Moss Adams, I believe. And other than that, everything looked great, other than uh, could use a lot more cash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that. There is that. <laughs> yeah, there's that. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Trustee Shikwin, finance. Yes, thank you, Board President. Um, four items. The, the first item is the general condition of the budget plan. Uh, just a reminder, it took us a while to get um, on track with the comparing of uh, our plan versus the actual because of the late approval of the budget. We are now on, in, that, uh, in that space and we're tracking well to budget. Just a general comment, you'll, you'll hear much more of a report on the details <coughs> of that from the, our CFO. Uh, I want to make a general comment about um, it, those really referred to the challenge that we predicted around uh, collection, billing collection. We are having troubles with that. Staff has uh, given us some very transparent reporting uh, regarding those issues and uh, pretty convincing uh, strategies for uh, getting out of this uh, predicted uh, dilemma we are um, uh, currently in. Um, we are also, uh, if you remember, uh, needing to track within our budget uh, you know, progress during the year how well we're doing towards strategies to increase uh, patient revenue, particularly in, in certain areas that have not tracked well. Um, that's an assumption that's in this year's budget. Um, and I would, uh, I, there's not excellent news there yet, uh, but I would caution that we're, it's too early to uh, um, make a judgment based on how we're going to do by the end of the year because uh, we're early on in ramping up those strategies. But uh, just generally, I would encourage trustees um, and the public to continue to track with the uh, reporting from staff. Uh, we have a very good report uh, uh, on those strategies within the COO's report. Uh, and uh, finally, I would uh, report, maybe staff has an update on this, uh, that we are, uh, we knew we were going to be challenged this year on our net negative balance. Uh, we have had some trouble actually uh, closing the uh, transaction with the county on the increased uh, funding related to behavioral health care. Do we have any update on that? Uh, uh, just that we're in conversation, so. Okay. Cautiously optimistic, yeah. but, but, but we're talking. Thank you. So I, I point this out because this is uh, going to be an issue throughout the year, uh, the challenge to stay within the net negative balance. Uh, and when, uh, when we don't uh, receive uh, large payments that uh, are expected, uh, that, that exacerbates this problem. Uh, so that's something to watch and, of course, uh, throughout the year, we, we have to watch it because of the uh, the recruitments that uh, we expect uh, for uh, from the state. Uh, Trustee Shikwin, uh, I'm going to step in here, Trustee Please. DeVries. Um, it's not just the $23 million in behavioral health care dollars that we're waiting on that was delayed uh, by the Board of Supervisors. We fully expect it, but there's been just a delay. There's also the $47 million in AB 85 money that we 
are expecting and needs to be approved by the board. And so that's really a total of 70 odd million. That it's a little bit of money. Yeah. It's so that 70 million means when we pay our bills and we don't have that, we bust through our neg negative balance. And I think we have sent a formal communication to the county to tell them we will likely uh, violate the permanent agreement because they owe us 70 odd million dollars. Um, right. Okay. So I just want to make sure everyone understands that we're right there. I appreciate the clarification. Yeah. I would add uh, something I said uh, during the committee, finance committee meeting, and I'll repeat here for the public is, uh, I think it would be uh, reasonable to, when we renegotiate the relationship around the net negative balance with the county, to have some allowance around uh, where we are based on payments that are due to us from uh, the mothership, yeah. Alameda <laughs> County. Yeah. And that's my report. Thank you. All right, any questions for our finance chair? No. I will point out, Trustee Shequin, that we will not be getting a full financial report from our CFO as it's in writing, it's in your packet. Uh, people can, of course, ask questions, but um, you said, as you'll hear later, but you will only hear it later if you ask for it. So you should ask questions now if you haven't. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. Or, or, or under the report. We're always, sorry, this is Del Vecchio. Um, um, if you have questions as you peruse your report, as is understandable and expected, always feel free to reach out to Kim or to me, and we're happy to address those concerns if, if you don't have them this evening. What I will say about the reporting is I appreciate the format that you're using. Mm. I, I think it's, it's really helpful. It feels, I feel informed as a member of the Finance Committee. I also really appreciate um, Luis's uh, operational report in that he put some of the key goals that we were attempting to uh, uh, meet to, to meet our budget gap. And, and he, he's tracking them for us each month. So the delivery increase and, and all of those those different strategies. And so um, it, we are in a ramp up phase. And so um, it, I really do appreciate would, the staff I, work. And oh, Trustee Shuffling. Uh, I would just underline how important it is for trustees to, I know this, this group tends to read their packet. I can tell by the former questions people ask, but it's really important around the financial reporting this year for us all to be engaged with that. I, I just feel a sense of uh, need to encourage you to do that because uh, we've got to do this together. <coughs> thank you. Yes. I just wanted to say thank you to Kim for changing some of the and updating and looking at every aspect of the reporting to see what's relevant, what's valid, because we were get, getting information, some of them. And so thank you for working that through. So for those who are not on the Finance Committee, if you look at the reports that look slightly different from what we were getting, just know that that's been a thoughtful process. And you know, for those of us on the Finance Committee, we'd be happy to. And, and still and evolving a little bit. Yes, too. evolving, yes. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> and I, I, just since I'm speaking, this uh, is Kim Miranda. Um, I want to reiterate to the Chief Operations um, Officer report on our key strategies. We're now partnering and we're putting dollars in there and we're tracking it. And I do want to emphasize how important that is. So. Thank you. Uh, any other questions or comments on the committee reports? Nope. 
Okay. Uh, with that, we'll move to our consent agenda. This is Trustee Bouquet. Motion to approve the consent agenda. Second. I have a second to approve from Trustee Banerjee. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? All right. We are on to our action items. Uh, so the first action item we have is finalizing our board retreat schedule. I don't know if everyone saw the email that I sent quite late. I apologize. I'm just I'm behind schedule this week. The whole you know Thanksgiving holiday has, has really made it challenging. Uh, so uh, to refresh everyone's memory, uh, we used to do uh, two uh, two-day retreats each year, uh, one in the spring, one in the fall. Uh, they were typically all day Friday and a half day Saturday. We tried this year to move to four one-day retreats all day Friday, which made our loved ones happier on Saturday morning so we could be sent to do the work we're expected to do for our family on Saturday mornings <laughs> instead of coming here. Um, what I found was that our attendance was um, challenged uh, by having four retreats because it does require people to miss four days of work through the year as opposed to two. I proposed uh, going back to a two-day um, option. Uh, there was some discord with that idea. I think people want to feel connected. They want to make sure that we're actually getting into details. Um, I, we, we didn't really come to a resolution. I came up with an idea talking with our CEO that maybe we stick to four days a year, but we do it on the Thursdays that we have the board meeting, since many of you have already committed to being here that day from 2 o'clock until we leave, which is often quite late. Uh, maybe if we committed to being here from 9 a.m. until quite late with, with meals, and and bio breaks, uh, that maybe a, a, a that would be a reasonable alternative. Um, so with that, I'll, I'll open it up to conversation and see what people think. And I see Trustee Jensen, you have something to say. Thank you, Tracy Jensen. Um, my comment is that it it will be very challenging for those of us who get here at two thirty to stay for the entire time for uh, to have the retreat on that day. That would be depending on how late it went. That would be a long time. Right. Well, and actually, it would be challenging for all of us because what I was proposing is we would all get here at 9 a.m. and we would stay probably until 7, 8, 9 o'clock p.m. It would be a, a long day. So that you're absolutely right. I am proposing something a little crazy, uh, but it would be an opportunity to get a lot of work done. Thanks. I misunderstood. Then would the P then would QPSC be in the middle of that, and then everyone else would adjourn or uh, I think um, Trustee um, Bouquet might like the fact that everyone on the board was at QPSC. <laughs> I that would be love that fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought quality might play a more central uh, role in our retreats. Uh, I believe we have a legal obligation to have QPSC to approve credentials yes. and policies and procedures. I also believe that that can be done rather quickly. Uh, and I'll, I'll defer to Trustee Bouquet and our CEO because you told me something about this. I can't remember when I came up with this idea. Oh, I just I, I mentioned just this that, yeah. that uh, QPSC would need to be considered uh, uh, as a portion of this, but that I thought that that could be achieved. Yes, uh, that, yeah. I, I, the the actual functions and and councils here of approving the policies and the credentialing 
is actually done relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we spend the rest of the moments hearing the reports and that, and we could find another perhaps venue or written reports. Uh, uh, SBUs have a standard and fixed report, and there's 20 to 25 minutes in every report, I mean, at every meeting. We, we, we engage a number of ad hoc reports, but those could be moved around since this happened quarterly. We could, we could probably pull off, and I'd have to talk with Del Vecchio and Gasson about this, we could probably execute a QPSC with all that activity maybe in 45 minutes to an hour, maybe if we took out some and made it a special QPSC. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I, I think so, yeah. I do personally have a major conflict with it because that's the day that I do my other work. And, oh. uh, but having said that, um, you know, if everyone else is in favor of it, I'll, I'll see if there's a way that I can rearrange my schedule. Okay. Uh, Trustee Hernandez. Uh, this is Trustee Hernandez. Um, one concern that I have is this. We went from two full days to now, in essence, four half days. So I think the caveat here is, does that give us enough time to get everything done? because I think we're often staying very late because we don't have the time to do the strategic work that we need to do. So, so here's the alternative. It might be that we can certainly start on Thursdays at 9 a.m. I think we do need to be able to be available for another half day if that becomes necessary. Um, and it, it just feels like we have- Four yeah, times a year? Right, no, not four times. I mean, we may have to plan it so that if there is a need for the other half day, mm -hmm. that we actually carve it out. Mm -hmm. So we would need to anticipate, you know, based on what's happening, based on the agenda, based on any urgent issues, we meet that Thursday, but we may still need to meet the following Friday morning for three hours. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like we rush a lot of tremendously important thinking, strategizing, analyses. And so as long as we can solidly use those three hours in the morning, we, we could get a lot done. I, I just want to be very realistic about what we face and the, the things that we need to do that it may require us to do a little bit more planning for, for some other times. Okay. It doesn't have to be Friday morning. It, it could be another yeah. day. Yeah. Well, there is something nice about doing it the next morning because we're all in that mode of yeah. thinking about our AHS board and then it, it carries over the next day, which is why we use Saturday mornings. And, yeah. of course, we could go back to... Again, Saturday. Yeah, and I would not say we have four half days. There have been four Fridays. They've been nine to five. Um, you know, but... But we've done, we've, we, we cut out that Saturday morning because we were doing four instead of two. So I think, right. yeah. I mean, if, if, you start, if you were to begin Thursday morning and have a solid three hours that you work on those strategic issues, all I'm saying is occasionally you may still need a few more. Friday morning, right. Yeah. Because right. staying until 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night, I, I think we're making some pretty significant decisions that are under, for, under fatigue, under fatigue mm -hmm. and under a lot of stress to get done by a certain amount of time to get home. So I just want to caution us that we need quality time together. Other thoughts from our silent members? <laughs> 
basically, it's hard for me to kind of say what my schedule will be. I'm starting a new position in January, and there is one um, day that folks telecommute. It's Wednesday. I have a lot of flexibility. I believe I'll have some flexibility, but since I haven't even joined uh, my <laughs> new uh, place, taking you know two days off in a week in the beginning, so I'll I'll work around, and I have uh, you know, so don't. Um, I would say um, that it really needs to work for everybody and then I'll manage it somehow. Okay. This trustee Bouquet, what about the Saturday, uh, uh, about the Saturday half day? I mean, because that's not a work day, it doesn't conflict yeah. with work, it challenges family, okay. but it's four days, you know, there's a 110 weekend days, 104 weekend days, it's just four days. Yeah, personally, I think for full-time working people who don't have a lot of flexibility, a weekend might sometimes work, you know, if not okay. all four weekends, but sometimes because... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, kind of going back to our to our past then, we, I mean, if we're going to come in on a Saturday morning, which I'm fine with that, do we start on a Friday and go all day and then into Saturday? And do we do that four times a year or two times a year? Uh, yeah, I think I think I agree with Trustee Hernandez about the connectivity. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think quarterly, um, it's just, it comes up fast. I mean, I, I'm, I'm torn because when I look at our board self-evaluation, I see a lot of room for improvement from what people are saying. And yet I know that many of us feel like we're always racing around to try to get our work done. So uh, I think the earth is spinning faster than it was when I joined this board. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if everyone else feels that way. Maybe that's just me getting older. Um, but uh, and Trustee Jensen, we still haven't addressed your concern about the all day Thursday thing and whether that you could do that. Right, no, that's fine. And, and whatever's decided, I'll make it work. Um, Trustee Jensen here, I, I um, I, this would be more relevant, and I, I don't. I apologize. I should have found it, but if um, if I have the, I know that we did a retreat evaluation, and, and I that's been shared. Um, so, yeah, I think um, there were some questions in there about the value of the retreats and about what we accomplished. And so, to your point, your question about whether it be two, twice, or four times a year, um, that information would probably. Um, informed certainly my decision. I I felt um, honestly this year that sometimes the retreat hasn't been as valuable as it has in past years. And I'm sure I shared that on my evaluation. Uh, so I'm can I sure Del Vecchio. So, sorry, I mean this is this is your your meeting and your time, so I want to minimize my engagement here. Um, from a staff perspective, I think it's uh, helpful uh, to to offer to you that, and I know you already appreciate this. That the, there is a significant amount of time uh, that goes into preparing for all of these meetings uh, in terms of the the preparation of the material, the coordination of getting it out and doing that a week in advance or days in advance for that to happen. And so on the months where there is a retreat, um, uh, know that like 
as it stands now, on those Thursday evenings you have your full board meeting, and then historically it's been uh, all day retreat the next day, or it was a Thursday meeting and then a day and a half retreat that starts the next day. So that's a lot of work for two substantial meetings, not. Um, knowing that some of that is a amalgamation of work that's happened out of committees, but also additional work as is indicated tonight in terms of additional committee reports and things like that. I would offer that on the, if you're, if you're um, really uh, desirous of having four retreats, that on the months where you're going to do those retreats, and you know whether it's Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, uh, from a staff perspective, in terms of actually even staff time, not just to prepare for, but to be at the meetings as well, uh, that there be a consideration for whether those full board meetings could, in some ways, consolidate. Because I think there's a fair amount of stuff that's actual things that need to happen, yeah. and the other is like additional work. On those months, that additional work could be the retreat mm -hmm. yeah. and allow for even more time for robust sort of. Um, um, thinking and informing and strategizing. So I just offer that if you're going to do four weeks, one idea may be that on those weeks, the board business is a truncated part of those meetings and you could perhaps even eliminate one of the Thursday, so for a Thursday meeting, so you could even say, if you're going to do an all-day Saturday, if that works better for people, that there's a Thursday meeting then on those months where you do the full meeting. Just an idea. This is Maria. Um, I. I think, again, um, with really careful use of the time, you could consolidate the Thursday meeting to be part of that day, but it might be wise to say that the four meetings are going to be around our core concerns, so finance, patient experience, um, and with patient probably quality. Um, I think we have started to look at community engagement as another issue. Today we talked quite a bit in QPSC about the um, use of uh, patient engagement councils or patient advisory councils, getting the community involved and listening to the community. Um, so we could uh, still have the board meeting on Thursday. There would have to be that one carve out of an, you know, 45 minutes to approve of uh, those reports. But if we met from nine to five and committed ourselves to being extraordinarily efficient with that day, so it is a board meeting uh, to Del Vecchio's point, but it's the time where we spend a little bit more in depth on one of those four areas. Oh, I've upset our council. No, you, you haven't upset it. Like, <laughs> what? The, uh, the general counsel. So I, um, and I think I, I'm hopeful that the uh, the record could be quite clear in terms of you know, what's, what I'm about to say. And Can't quite hear you, Mike. <laughs> well, David needs to turn on the uh, mic. <laughs> Just pick it up like a, like a performer. <laughs> pick up the whole stand. You're on. You're on. You're on. Just more close. Yeah, you're So, um, I, I understand some of what you're saying, but one thing I would caution you on, I'm not entirely certain that condensing the QPSC meeting to 45 minutes or an hour is, I, I would suggest that you consult with the medical staffs before making that move. This meeting, I believe, is viewed by them as an important mm -hmm. part of their interaction and engagement with the board. Mm -hmm. And if that basically goes away, 
then I think that you're going, it's an issue you're going to have to, you know, yeah. address and deal with. And so the part of the meeting that Taft is talking about, you know, the, the sort of technical business piece, true, I do believe it can handle, but there's a substantial part of that meeting that concerns the, the reports from the chief of staff mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, and now that's going to go away. And I just would suggest you may want to uh, just that was actually part of my calculation on the 45 minutes to an hour, yeah. 15 minutes to approve, 45 minutes to the chiefs of staff. And then maybe the regular uh, SBU reports fall off into a written or something like that. Yeah, and, and again, this is back in the napkin throwing it against the wall right now. Let, let, let me ask you a question. This is Trustee DeVries. Thank you for being thoughtful on that. Um, <clears throat> if we had an all-day Friday retreat that went into a half-day Saturday, would the QPSB members still be willing to come here for just your QPSC meeting and not a general meeting that, that evening? So Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's what it would mean. <laughs> Four times eight. Wait, 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 why is it yeah. Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Saturday, Saturday so QPSC. Thursday, you have QPSC. Okay. But okay. then we will meet Thursday night. So you'd be okay. done at 5, but then you'd be back in retreat mode all day Saturday, Friday, and then, you know, Saturday morning. But why did the QPSC people have to come to the retreat? The, the board members were. Oh, I'm sorry, the board members. Yeah. I, I thought you were talking about the medical staff. Uh, he was asking why would the QPSC uh, members have to come to the retreat. Yeah. Uh, the, the board members would have to. Yeah. Uh, this is a question to DeVecchio and staff. Uh, so, again, uh, we're just spitballing here right now. What about a hybrid of the Saturday morning or half morning? Um, and then your original pr proposal was all day Thursday. Mm -hmm. Then I don't know if the, giving the staff a break for Friday to prep whatever, and then making making the Saturday morning a skinny down whatever, so we wouldn't require the maximum amount of support staff. So the staff gets a little bit of breather room. Uh, so uh, so an all day Thursday, doing what we said, taking a break, people can go to the work, and then on Saturday morning, maybe we've had time to like stew on some of the things, and we do some of our strategic planning stuff that closed session stuff, Mike will have to advise on what we can or can't do on Saturday morning and, and maybe not require an entirety of the staff to not bring have to bring the staff in on a Saturday morning. Yeah, I, thank you for Does that. Uh, help? Uh, yes, but let me clarify a piece if I may. Um, I wasn't, uh, the reason it helped is what I was suggesting is that the consolidation of one meeting into, or uh, two meetings, if you're going to do two meetings four times a year, um, um, alleviates the burden of the work that has to go happen up front. So it's not so much the the, uh, the back to back of the meetings themselves. It's mm. that there's two sets of, of work that have to happen in, those, in those months. Yeah. That will happen either way, but the consolidated element of it at least reduces that amount uh, 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 because there isn't a set of presentation materials that are going to happen in QPSC and then a separate set that happen in a retreat that actually probably from your perspective, and I'm just thinking out loud here, um, doesn't do you the favor of that body of work than having the opportunity to get the level of vetting that you might want to do at a full board level. It just adds an, a, another set of things, which is kind of compounding all of this, uh, not just for us, but for you as well. That's why my suggestion was that you could do that on a Saturday. You could do that on a Thursday, too. Mm -hmm. If you have the second day, I mean, that's your call. I'm really just thinking about the burden on you. Um, uh, but we can certainly, from a staff perspective, I, I think that's what we had attempted to do even when we just had the two day and a half. Uh, meetings was that the Saturdays we try to make those more 
uh, CEO and board and uh, uh, council. We had already moved in that direction. Uh, I don't think that, I, I certainly wouldn't encourage going back from that. And I don't think that anything you've said thus far suggests that. So. Well, we're going forward from that. This is Trustee Jensen. We're going from two one and a half day retreats to four one and a half day retreats. Yeah, that's the other thing I would be cautious about because in some ways this is sort of exactly so that's that's my concern. I just and I and for retreats plus the other committee meetings and the the board currently meets eight times a year, so that's or yeah. ten times a year, so that's forty percent of the meetings would be at retreats. It just doesn't seem. I, and I actually I'll ask a question. Let me ask you, Joe, and I know that Vanessa's here, too. Um, how often does the Board of Supervisors have retreats? Are they quarterly or uh, annually? I don't know, but they're paid for yeah, I mean, jobs. I just, I'm not sure that, that this is if just I'm, making too much work for staff. I, I, I feel like for the staff, and honestly for, for the board, and apologies for uh, chiming in, I said I'd stop. Um, but as far as I know, uh, and I, I certainly can't speak for everyone, uh, the boards that I'm aware of meet, do a retreat once a year. And those are boards right. that actually even meet less frequently right. uh, than this board. So I do think there is a cautionary tell to the frequency. I certainly appreciate the desire and the uh, importance of the deeper dive, and, and so I want to sort of honor that. At the same time, I want to perhaps encourage uh, the board to think about being tactical with the amount of time that you already invest uh, so that both for you and subsequent board members, we don't have the challenge of very highly uh, uh, capable individuals like yourselves uh, feeling like the dem demands of this are actually quite onerous. And I, you know, I had informal conversations with people over the course of the four plus years here that, yeah, it's a lot for someone who's volunteering uh, uh, to take that much on. So just my, my thoughts and I will shut up, sorry. Trustee Hernandez. So I'd like to propose something. Um, it, it's very hard to you know, anticipate all of the things that we might need to do, but if people were amenable to meet the Thursday and use the morning for our strategic initiatives that we need to address, I think we need to take it as an effort of trying to use that as efficiently as possible, knowing fully well we may need to come back on a Saturday if the board has an unfinished set of tasks to do. I also think we should say very clearly what the four Thursdays will be dedicated to. So we have so much going on. Look at what's happening financially, look at what's happening in terms of our long-term plans about so many elements of becoming a system. Mm -hmm. We have a lot. And, and I'm anxious that if we uh, just continue to meet late into the night, we may not be making the best decisions possible. And we're rushing through some pretty significant issues. So I, my proposal would be try to do it on a Thursday. All day Thursday. All day Thursday. Start at 9, finish it you know, five or six, whatever that might be, but... Keep Saturday, the keep, following Saturday available. Keep keep ourselves up with the option of coming back either the Friday morning or Saturday, whichever one is the one that works. Well, <clears throat> well I'm going to... Yeah, I 
I'm leaning toward, I like the idea of keeping the option for that second day when necessary. I like that. I'm now hedging on whether all day Thursday makes sense for, for, for Trustee Peterson's sake, uh, knowing that he has a definite conflict Thursday mornings. And Trustee Jensen is, uh, wants to add something as well. No, I just want, so it's already been decided. I missed the last board meeting, so it's already been decided that there'll be four. I shouldn't, I should have no, checked no. that before no. I started. Oh, okay. no, no, no. But it sounds like, no, it sounds we, we like. We couldn't come to a conclusion, so. But what I'm hearing is that we're not, we're not talking about how many, we're talking about how long the meetings are. So, oh, no. excuse oh, me. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. So, sorry. so, there are four. That was decided at the last meeting. No. We're suggesting yeah. that now. It's, it's all open for discussion. Oh, oh, it's all okay. open for discussion. But it does feel that four times a year allows us to do more of the work that we feel we need to do um, to see that we're connected to the, to the emerging issues that are coming up. Well, I respectfully disagree. That four times are necessary. Trustee Banerjee, might, might I add, one thing is that as we keep this option open, if we want to, and I know that at the last meeting, um, the proposal was to go to two, but the majority of the board that okay. felt that it was, it, um, uh, we didn't make a decision, but felt like two might be too little. But the thing is that in the QPSC meetings now, we still have two hours. But I don't know how we've designed those meetings so that we have a lot more substantive discussions strategically. So we also, as much as our agendas for the main, like our business meetings are so packed, and we have written reports for finance, but we might also want to keep what we are, uh, you know, um, uh, deciding on the days, but looking at what we need to do for, but also think about using our uh, you know regular business meetings board full board meetings to do a little bit more strategic work as well this trustee Buget, i'm i'm, I'm going to uh, I, I support trustee hernandez's concept and actually our concept that i think we need more touch time together and more think time together and uh, we're trying to, I guess, this just the whole discussion is about trying to figure out how we operationalize that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm that of that opinion. I think, I personally think that four would be appropriate. Um, but I know everyone has a full-time job mm -hmm. otherwise. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I uh, Trustee Peterson, I, I do think meeting more frequently makes sense. I just am struggling here because, mm -hmm. you know, the day just it, it is a struggle for me. But I think from looking from a higher place rather than, you know, that I think it does make sense to meet more frequently. Well, I think we have to honor the fact that you have a long-standing Thursday commitment and, and maybe take Thursday as the all-day off the table and, and look back at Friday um, as, as the all-day. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I really want to honor that. You're one of our newest members, but you're, you've really risen to the occasion and, and you've involved yourself in a lot of our important initiatives, and I would not want to take that away. Um, well, I Trustee Shequin, I think you had a comment. Yeah, so, Trustee Shequin, um, I think, you know, maybe we need to try something out, and uh, uh, I propose that we think about doing two retreats in the next six months, see what that's like. Um, my other thought is, uh, I just, what I'm struggling with is we also have an awful lot of work we need to do outside of being together. Uh, and I, for example, want to thank uh, Trustee Peterson for his willingness to work with the consultants, uh, financial consultants. He's done a, quite a bit of 
legwork with them um, and connecting liaison between uh, the consultants and the system. We have a lot of relationship we need to continue to build with our partners at the county. Um, it's been mentioned that we need to work more in listening to the community, uh, to uh, lived experience partners. Um, so I think I just want to acknowledge that, that that's the tension um, yeah. here. And maybe I'll just try something for the next six months and then reevaluate it. Right. I, I want to uh, thank you, this Trustee DeVries. Um, I'm saying I am Trustee DeVries speaking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm trying to play by the rules. Uh, uh, I should also point out, you know, Trustee Hernandez is now leading this effort around equity and inclusion and diversity. Right. Um, you know, and helped me and Dr. Trustee Noha Valletta work on the doctor reunification ad hoc. Trustee Jensen sits on the Alameda Health District Board. Uh, Trustee uh, Banerjee also helped with, with, with that and with, uh, and, pardon? The seismic. No, the, and is on the seismic subcommittee. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we've got a lot. I think you're a doctor. <laughs> question. <laughs> All right. So how about? Uh, oh, Mr. Chair, sorry. If yeah. I could add one more thing to the last point, um, and it's later in the agenda, but I, I think that we're going to be talking later in the agenda about how to have more engagement to um, with yes. our legislative leaders. And I know that there's been a discussion about having more joint meetings with the board of supervisors. So that might take a little time, staff time as well as um, our time. Just, yeah. just yeah. find that out. Right. Yeah. All right. So I am going to um, suggest someone make a motion that we have that that we cal. I think, Trustee Shequin, we, we do need to calendar what we intend to do. We can always pull back. So I'm actually going to make a motion that we do calendar for retreats. Can I, one clarify, okay. uh, Trustee Shequin. So the um, couldn't we move? Thursday at uh, committee and board meeting to Friday and make Friday a whole day and then leave Saturday as a possibility. Um, is that a, is that a, that makes some oh. sense? I don't oh. know. Yeah. It just came to me. I thought we were regulated to have them on Thursday. <laughs> I, no, I think oh, as long as we notify uh, per the Brown Act, we're, we're cer certainly work for me. Okay. Oh, maybe we found a solution. I, let me put that in proposal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That we try uh, two dates in the next six months, where we have an all day. Four months. No. Four, four dates in the next twelve months. You want you to calendar a whole year. You want a whole year. Yeah, okay. Four days in the next year, uh, as a pilot where we have an all-day Friday retreat and uh, with embedded uh, public meeting and a public committee uh, hearing. And then leave Saturdays open for emergency discussions as they may arise. Second. Is there a second? Second. So, Trustee Hernandez seconded that. I'll open that for discussion. I will clarify or offer a friendly amendment that we not, not not say that Saturday is reserved for emergency, uh, but for extended. Yeah. Extended. I bet you anything we're yeah. going to be in here on Saturdays. Let's not. Uh, uh, tr uh, probably, yeah. Trustee Finley. No. <laughs> CEO Finley, you had something you wanted to add? I was kidding. Sorry. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm trying my best here. I even put food in my mouth. So I can stop talking. <laughs> um, 
Just one uh, request. I, I appreciate the um, a suggestion from Trustee uh, Hernandez that um, for the four, just in, help, in terms of helping us to work with you to prepare, if we could uh, clarify up front, uh, and we don't have to do it tonight, but you know, up front, what the four topics will be, sure. uh, so that then we have some sense of how the cadence mm -hmm. you'll know, and, and then we can prepare, help to prepare for it. I think that'd be very helpful. So, okay. Thank you. All right. Any other? Yes, Trustee Jensen. Oh, thank you. Um, I, my, um, my question to Trustee Hernandez is: um, Will all the, the retreats be here in this in this build, in this room? I, I don't see why they need to be. If we need to circulate so that we can have one at Alameda, one at San Leandro, one at John George, that's fine. One in Tahiti. Well, uh, we also have a, a, the SSC where a lot of staff comes here from there often, so we could also use that facility. Sure. Why not? No. Absolutely. If it's desired to have the ability to spread ourselves around to make sure we're circulating our system I think that's fine okay uh, so the motion on the floor is to have four Friday retreats and they will also serve as the regular business meeting and QPSC meetings for those months and an expectation that the retreat will then go for at least a half day on Saturday yeah. could go for a, a half day on Saturday not at least yeah. could go for a, a half day on Saturday uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Abstained? All right. I'm Thank you for making amazing. a reasonable accommodation for me. Absolutely. And um, wow, that is the hope that I think that's the thing we're going to deliberate on tonight the most. Uh, <laughs> our calendar. All right. Be careful what you. Hope. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, the next item is certainly an item I'm not happy to have to bring forward, and I really want to thank the staff for putting it together so quickly um, that uh, I, I won't read the whole resolution, but obviously we all uh, recognize a real tragedy in the healthcare industry and in the Bay Area in terms of leadership loss uh, with uh, the untimely uh, passing of Bernard Tyson. Um, his commitment uh, to spreading the, the wealth and the equity um, of, of the Kaiser model and supporting not just our system but homeless efforts. Um, I, I know that many of the programs I work on are directly benefited by uh, his, his leadership. Um, is, he'll be greatly missed and so I don't know if anyone else wants to make a comment about him but I thought it appropriate that we uh, adopt this resolution on his behalf. Yeah, I mean, on Trustee Banerjee, just on all things social justice, he has been such a beacon and a leader and a life lost too quickly. There was so much potential, so incredible loss for um, the nation, not just for us. So I'll entertain a motion. So moved. All right, all in favor? Aye. 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 Okay. Um, the next item, F3, is on our annual self-evaluation, and I don't know if everyone has had the opportunity to to read the evaluation, but I think um, I'm just going to make some comments on it. I don't think we have to go into great detail. Mike, I did have some comments. Oh, and Mike may have some comments as well. Um, you know, uh, um, it, it reflects 
quite frankly, the conversation we just had, <clears throat> and it reflects some of the challenges we face this year. And uh, I'll, I'll say this, so an understanding of our finances uh, across the board was one area where we saw some uh, uh, just disparate answers. In other words, I don't know that all trustees feel that we all understand, you know, exactly where we are financially. Uh, I think having a new CFO who's formatting things better for us is great. Um, I think uh, not uh, not having any universal agreement on our strategic plan, not the organizations, but this board's strategic plan, and if it aligns with the organization, to me was also a really um, uh, grabbing uh, uh, thing, and I think we struggle with that. And I think the, to Trustee Hernandez's point about our needing to be together more and thinking about these, you've certainly made great efforts with our playbook, and um, I also think that our evaluation efforts uh, are, are left uh, wanting, you know, according to our survey, uh, and I think it's an example of just how much there is to cover, and uh, and I need to touch on all that. Um, there were some other areas that, that jumped out at me. Um, I certainly uh, recognize everyone's commitment uh, that was that was well, well stated, uh, and I hope the, the, the next president can do a better job aligning this board. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how the evaluation looks next year. And, uh, uh, Mike, you wanted to add a few things? Yeah, just so, you know, a couple of points, you know, to make regarding it. So uh, this form of the survey was first rolled out in 2017, and, and that was uh, with <coughs> the, the good old board, um, which, you know, because everything that happened before is the good old stuff. And uh, so... <laughs> And so what was interesting about that, that, you know, the survey in 2018, we lost a couple of members of the board, and Trustee Shaquen participated in the 2018 survey. So there was a little bit of a change in that, you know, there were, you know, two or three board members who rolled off, a new board member came on. So even between 2017 and 2018, you have a little bit of a, a marginal, marginal change in the composition of the board. And then between 2018 and 2019, you know, there was, again, a... a sort of a long-term board member who rolled away, and then you added, you know, two new trustees who also participated in this particular survey here as well, too. So I think it's, you know, it's sort of useful to understand, you know, in the context of thing that, um, that those changes occurred, you know, over the course of time. And if you really, you know, sort of go through and, you know, of the 31, you know, questions that were asked there, I would suspect that, you know, essentially a little over half the there's been virtually no change over the course of time mm -hmm. in terms of the general parameters of of the opinions of the board and you know if there was a majority of agreement or positive um, on a particular question that continued on it might have gone from you know two or three more strongly agrees or two or three less strongly agrees but generally speaking the 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 strongly agrees and the agrees tended to be, you know, if it was a majority before, it continued to be a majority, even though it might have, you know, shifted a little bit. There's about a half a dozen, you know, questions or so that I think, you know, reflect some true differences in how the board views things. What's interesting, or actually about, you know, about 10 or 11, what's interesting is that three of those are, seem to be specifically tied to the, the financial issues over the course of the past year. And so, uh, and in particular, you know, a question that uh, is, it, Dave, can I get to this? Let me uh, let me jump out here at, you know, to 
what sort of it strikes me towards the end here. This question here. Um, 28. So if, if you look at this question, okay, this is the you know, each board member understands the funding models uh, for AHS operations and services that it provides. And you can see in the, you know, in 2017, 2018, you know, generally, you know, well, certainly 2018, the majority of the board, you know, felt, you know, expressed, you know, some great sense of confidence in that. And you can sort of see how that became fractured here in 2019, you know, in terms of, you know, there were, you know, about a third of the board felt that way, there was about a quarter of the board who wasn't sure, but a third of the board, you know, just absolutely disagreed on that point. You go to this, you know, uh, this one here, which also relates to the finance, and it's the same thing. You see that, you know, in 2017, 2018, there was a substantial majority of the board at least agreed on the point of their understanding around these financial things. You get to 2018, half of you said, I don't know, and, you know, as many, so, you know, clearly that seemed to be related to it. And then, you know, this other question here on the operating budget. Again, you know, there's, it, it was interesting, you know, a, a couple of folks, you know, sort of doubled down in terms of, you know, going to strongly agree. Um, but now, you know, that's a minority of the board that really feels absolutely comfortable in, you know, what's happening, you know, with regard to, you know, some of these financial decisions. So I thought that that was, and then this final question here, which also relates to that, you know, and, and what the board or how the board is addressing. So it, it struck me that the changes in these questions was specific to what happened this year. Because if you look at all of these questions between 2017 and 2018, there wasn't much change in them. And, and again, you know, the majority, the agreement may have increased or decreased slightly, but there wasn't a flip in terms of it. So I don't know that I would necessarily use those as drivers, you know, for things that you want to change or talk about. A couple of others that did seem to, you know, perhaps go a little bit more to that that I'll just, you know, hit very quickly for you. Uh, so going back here, question number two I thought was kind of interesting, you know, in that this was a question, you know, where the board seemed to really <laughs> strike some confidence in how they're addressing or dealing with strategic issues. You know, because you can see it was sort of fractured, you know, it was very good in 2017, seemed to become a little bit fractured in 2018, now it seems back to being, you know, a, a point of real confidence for the board. Uh, this one here I thought was interesting, and I think this goes to the point that, you know, trustee DeVries made in terms of how the board feels itself. And you can sort of see this has always been an issue. Um, you know, basically the, the majority, you know, viewpoint on this has either been neutral or negative over the course of time. You know, last year, you know, it was, you know, 100, you know, <coughs> you know more so, but still a little bit fractured. So that's, you know, one I think that you know, is, you know, is a basis for, you know, sort of looking at what the board or how the board wants to address or approach its business. You know, I thought this one was kind of, you know, interesting here is that in terms of the board's view of committee assignments, that has been consistent over the course of time. And again, you know, a vast majority of folks feel that you do very well in terms of that particular issue. Um, this one here sort of fell off a little bit in terms of and so I think it would be helpful for us to understand if this is something that you feel is a need because this is something where we interact with you as board members. There's still seem, there's at least, you know, half of you, you know, who feel confident that you're getting what you need, but the number 
but that has ticked up a little bit, so it's not clear, you know, Mike, that's something that we need to address more. Uh, this is Trustee DeVries. I'm going to interject with you on this one um, <clears throat> because you just reminded me to remind the board members who haven't filled out your self-training under AB, what is it, 15, 1234. You need to do that training like ASAP and submit it to Rana because um, it's about compliance. Okay. <laughs> so thanks for reminding me of that. I was supposed to mention that tonight. Absolutely no problem. Are those folks in the 25 percent? <laughs> the 12 percent, right? <laughs> and then the last, you know, thing, uh, last one I think I want to call out is this um, on you know the qualities of new members, you know, because this you know ended up becoming a little bit fractured. I'm not sure what, if anything, this necessarily. You know, means you know over the past couple of years, it's it been sort of consistent. There seem to be a, a couple of different opinions. What, what, what is orange? I noticed this orange earlier. Orange is not applicable. So oh, that right. you know, um, basically, someone just declined to vote on that you know particular piece. Mm. So I think you know, otherwise, like I say, I don't. I think there's a, an amazing amount of consistency. You know, here you know there was a precipitous drop from 100 percent to 88 percent. You know, in terms of. Uh, <laughs> You know the uh, board alignment on that issue, and I think maybe this was the last same thing with this one here in terms of the meeting materials. And I wasn't sure, you know, what to make of this. It's got from 100% agreement to strong agreement to 88%, you know, agreement overall. Does that mean something? You know, perhaps not. So. Sample groups. Too. This is Maria. I, I think these really speak to why we need to have retreats. <laughs> I do. Um, I also just want to call out, uh, regardless of um, the variation of, of results. It's super important for us to have consistent data to look at, consistently ask ourselves these questions, and consistently go back and look at what Mike just went through, which gives us a chance to ask ourselves, why have those perceptions changed? And what specifically are we going to do about that? So I, I, I know that it's laborious to go through that, but I think it's super important to reflect on why did these numbers change? You know, you're saying, did we change because we have new members? That's possible, but the other possibility is that we've all changed the way we think about those things. Yeah. So, so I, uh, Trustee Chikwan, um I wonder. I, I don't. I suspect this survey didn't reflect my previous point about the shift that's happened on this board, which is we've asked staff and of ourselves to move towards a more external, outwardly facing. Mm -hmm. uh, perspective. Uh, we're, we're meeting with a lot of people on, on a very high level. You think about the work with the docs this year. Mm -hmm. You think about uh, Alameda Hospital. You think about the Board of Supervisors and how we changed uh, the way we were meeting with them. And we probably come up with another, the, the, the fact that you folks are meeting on legislation with uh, Bonta. And uh, you go on and on and on. I don't know if we really captured that in the survey. Um, I just want to note that we have made a shift um, under President DeVries' leadership that has been actually really, I think, significant. Um, I'm, I'm not just trying to feel good about this. I, I think we're, we're, we're not there yet, but there's a relational shift that we all said to ourselves that we wanted to get to that we're making. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Other comments? Anyone? No. Um, I, I will point out <clears throat> what I, th I thought of it in one of the narrative comments, um, a longing for more members to handle more of the work. <laughs> and it's funny because <clears throat> when I joined this board, 
we were, I think, the largest board over a public agency in the state of California at, I believe, 15 members. And um, we killed a few off, and um, <laughs> no, we scared a few in this in the resignation, and then we decided, well, let's just not fill those roles, and we'll change our bylaws to, so we would be smaller and more nimble. Um, so I think we all kind of know where each other is, but we don't have enough of ourselves to spread around. Um, yeah, and we have had some vacancies that have not been filled always in the most timely manner, but um, it's an interesting thing also maybe for a retreat is should the board go back to 11, you know, and not, not to 15, I think that's crazy, but is, is there room for a couple more members to do more of the work, uh, you know, or, so that, that's, that was one of my takeaways. Uh, other, other thoughts, other trustees? I, I the, Trustee Peterson, I think expanding by a couple of members would probably make sense because I think the bandwidth is not there. And I know um, uh, on our audit committee, there's only two of us. So, you know, one of us is gone. We don't have a quorum. Oh, yeah. Narrow. Okay. So that's a great item for our, our, um, our January retreat. Okay. Um, actually, it's not January. I was kidding. Yeah, it's not January. I was, I was, just made I was playing with you. Uh, so uh, our next item is uh, uh, our board advocacy strategy. Here he comes. Good evening. Um, my name is Terry Lightfoot. I am the Director of Public Affairs and Community Engagement. Uh, I'm here to this evening to follow up on a request, I think several meetings ago, where there was a discussion about how we can uh, better engage the trustees in our government relations activities. And I think the segue from the last discussion nicely slides into this in terms of how we do that in a meaningful way for board members and also in terms of supporting the work that we do uh, around government relations, which is critical when you think about uh, our funding streams and the, uh, the complexity related with that and also the fluidity in which those numbers change from time to time and a lot of work that we do on an ongoing basis to try to maintain those supplemental payments and the work we need to do with elected officials at almost on a continuous basis to make sure that we're protecting those resources. So um, <clears throat> I wanted to start with, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank um, Elizabeth Lamb, our government relations specialist. Uh, she really did a lot of the work to uh, do the presentation. She's not here. She's in Hong Kong uh, visiting her parents. Uh, so um, I, I'm sure she was excited to, to be here, but she wanted to see her parents on her vacation. And so she's not here, but she really did a lot of heavy lifting on this presentation. So I really appreciate her work in that regard. 
So the purpose of the presentation, one, is to kind of give you all a, a quick overview of the activities that we uh, manage within government relations, and also sort of strategize or discuss how to engage the board in advancing some of those activities to a higher level of success. So we broke, we've broken our activities down into four buckets, um, legislative policy activities, coalition engagement, engagement, relationship development, elections and campaigns. I want to point out that even though we've broken these down into four different buckets, oh sorry, I'm looking at the wrong screen. <laughs> looking at my own slides. Uh, so uh, uh, just a caveat, that's not Del Vecchio in these pictures. Uh -huh. <laughs> My doppelganger. <laughs> I'm yours. <laughs> I'm older. That's how that works. Yeah. So anyway, um, these are broken down in four four distinct areas, but it's important to point out that uh, success really requires that we're working in all of these areas at at the same time, depending upon what we're trying to achieve. So we have to be very nimble and flexible in utilizing all of these activities to be. Uh, successful in managing our legislative activities and in our advocacy efforts. I want to I want to give a caveat when we talk about success in advocacy uh, and legislative affairs. Success uh, can't be or shouldn't be measured just in wins or losses. Many times it's really about mitigating the the bad things and trying to hold on to the good things. And so there's no uh, just uh, black or white in terms of how we're how we're measured but we really try to fight to hold on to what we have and try to prevent some of the bad things from coming our way. Okay, so I won't read through this long list of a variety of legislative and policy activities we, we uh, participate in. I will say that usually at the beginning of each session, there are several hundred uh, healthcare related bills that come through the state legislature. Uh, our coalition looks at about 50 of those, narrow those down, uh, and then we narrow it down even further to probably a, a couple of dozen or so that we track on an ongoing basis. Uh, in this process, we make decisions around which ones we track, which ones we oppose, and which ones we support. So you make it a long list of bills that we're just following through the process, but we're not actively engaged in all of those bills on an ongoing basis. This is important to point out because one of the things you find very interesting with elected officials, it, it may be counterintuitive, but in some cases, the less they hear from you, the more they're likely to listen to you. So if we're advocating on uh, two dozen things and we're talking to them every day about a particular issue, it, it just puts us on a repeat cycle. They're not really hearing what we have to say. So we need to be selective to engage up with them on those things that are really vitally important to what we're trying to achieve. Uh, this is an example of some of the bills that were very important to us last year that we managed. Uh, the 340B program, as an example, uh, has been um, under variety, I'll say attack, in terms of changes, either from the state and or the federal level, in terms of either trying to reduce uh, the amount of dollars that we recoup from or amount of money we save within the 340B program or the state looking at ways to bring that in under its umbrella, which may have an adverse impact on our system as well. 
So we spent a, we spent a lot of time this year really trying to educate our elected folks about the impact of changes to that um, program that would be really um, detrimental to our, some of our programs. So coalition engagement. Um, as one entity, one organization, it's very difficult to get the attention of our elected officials. They have many constituents who are uh, poking at them at any time for their support um, for bills that are important to them. So we really need our coalition support to really uh, add volume to our voice in terms of those issues that are important to us. Uh, these are the key groups that we work with. There may be others that support different um, functional areas within the organization. Um, American Essential Hospitals Association, which is a coalition of uh, safety net hospitals across the country. Uh, American Hospital Association represents a broad range of hospitals, both safety net but also not-for-profit hospitals as well. The California Association of Public Hospitals is similar to AEH, but it represents um, our public health care system here in California. California Hospital Association, again, similar to the American Hospital Association, but is a mix of different organizations outside of public um, health care system. We are members of both uh, the California Hospital Association and uh, the California Association of Public Hospitals in part because of our unique structure. Uh, we don't fit uh, just neatly into uh, one, uh, just in, into the area of public hospitals alone. So we have, um, we, we participate in both those organizations and try to be very mindful of which one of those, um, which bills are tracking affect us individually. Uh, this is Tracy Jensen. I have a question. Are, are, are we members of other non-acute care organizations as well? Like uh, the Federal Qualified Health Centers or um, right. um, so. ancillary care or... I don't know what they might be, but um, all you've mentioned here is acute care, and I know that we have other... Yeah, so, so to clarify, uh, this is kind of an artifact of how the industry has evolved as well. There are uh, specific uh, entities that are um, uh, tailored towards acute... Oh, I'm sorry, um, different subsets of our delivery system. So there is, in this case, uh, uh, like for the state level, CPCA would be uh, California Primary Care Association, would be the FQHC... Uh, world that's for exclusively FQHCs. Uh, you kind of have a post-acute entity as well. These organizations have evolved with the organizations like ours where they started predominantly as hospitals and now they represent systems. And those systems are collections of all acute facilities or uh, systems that have a continuum of care. So, so all of those entities um, uh, represent or have subsections in their work that are uh, reflective of the work that we do across our systems. I mean, a big portion of the waiver work is in CAPH, which then ends up involving CHA and America's Essential Hospital. So, and as you have heard earlier, a lot of our waiver work crosses all of our delivery uh, parts of our delivery system, but it has a really heavy component in ambulatory care as well. So, so and, and, and there's sometimes a, a little bit of a challenge for us to get into the, um, the more um, uh, sort of subset specific parts of, the, um, uh, of those networks because they see us as a bit of a um, zebra 
of sorts. Uh, so this group has sort of designed, or, or these groups have evolved to incorporate those elements, whereas the others would say, yeah, you kind of fit with us, but not really. Uh, and we're a little bit more um, uh, clear about what that subset looks like. Thanks. That's sure. really helpful. Sure. And, and I would add, even though the names of these organizations speak to hospitals, they really are looking at um, healthcare systems, not just a hospital component of it. So the names are a bit of a misnomer in terms of the variety of things that we're in. So a lot of our coalition activities, it's, uh, this is a picture taken from a CAPH legislative day in Sacramento. Uh, we do these uh, once a year with CAPH, but we also have similar activities, the California Healthcare Association uh, through AEH. We do policy assemblies twice a year in Washington, D.C. Uh, to uh, visit our various legislators um, to discuss a variety of, issue, or a variety of critical issues for us. Relationship development, uh, this is really key. Uh, we try to be very cognizant of understanding uh, what's important to our stakeholders, uh, keeping them informed of what's happening with us within the organization, sharing various uh, news and, and other um, uh, information that really reflects progress we're making in, in different uh, activities, whether it's the implementation of our EHR, uh, last last week's uh, open house for uh, San Leandro Acute Care, we make sure that we're continuing to push this information out to them on an ongoing basis so they're aware of the progress that we're making as a system. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> we try to engage also in those activities that are important to those elected officials who serve the community. On the left-hand side, you have council member um, boss who had uh, had never visited Highland Hospital before. She was recently elected to, I think it's the second district Correct. city council. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we brought her out and she was uh, quite surprised at what, you know, she experienced here at the hospital and what she saw. Um, she, like many others, have an impression that's grounded in uh, a history. And she was pleased to see a lot of the changes that have come about within the system. So we do that in part to make sure that uh, as we change, we're keeping them aware of the steps we're taking in positive directions and how we can engage them. In fact, following this meeting, she actually participated with us on our Highland cleanup, uh, which was in her district, and she and her staff joined us for that. So whatever we can engage with them is really helpful. And so we try to do that whenever we can. Okay. Elections and campaigns. So as a public institution, you guys know we don't we don't take positions on uh, ballot measures and have, um, endorse candidates and those sorts of things, but we do try to track who is involved in the election activities and um, try to understand what or who uh, who may be a candidate for a position may have some impact on, on us as a system. Uh, as you know, uh, Supervisor Haggerty has uh, indicated his resignation from the Board of Supervisors. So a number of people who no, he's not running. He's not leaving. He's just not running for reelection. Who are um, vying for his position? It's not a resignation. Yes, yeah, he's just sorry. not retiring. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> retiring. Sorry. Sure, that's clear. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, retiring, and uh, one of the candidates for this for this position is actually um, a, um, State Senator Wykowski. 
And uh, we, it's, it's fortunate that we do have a pretty good relationship with him because we've been engaging with him on state, state uh, uh, issues as well. So there are a number of other folks associated with that, but it's good to know and have sure. some history with those. Sure. Yes, sir. Uh, this is Trustee DeVries. Um, although we can't take a position on a ballot measure, certainly we can provide public education uh, about the impacts of measures, and I know it's a fine line, uh, but you know, if this measure, so measure AA, which was the renewal of measure A, is a good example. Um, there was a, a message sent from the leadership here to staff back back in the day. I guess that was 2013. That 14. That indicated that that staff couldn't participate in trying to get that initiative renewed. And it was unfortunate because a lot of the momentum and energy that came from staff that really, really cared about that measure uh, was just kind of halted. Uh, and it, it actually damaged our relationship with some of the board of supervisors who had worked so hard to get Measure A passed to begin with and then Measure AA. Uh, so it's just an example. I just want to, like, for those of us who were around and remember that, um, uh, we got taken to the woodshed by at least one supervisor about it um, publicly. Uh, and so I just think it's important that if there is a ballot measure that will either create you know, huge benefits for the organization or liabilities, being able to speak about it publicly about what those benefits without necessarily advocating is something we can do uh, through a position paper. And, and staff, uh, this stuff back here, I, I want to understand, my understanding is staff very much can uh, leverage their own agency as uh, constituents and members of the public. The organization just can't sanction activity. But your point about education and awareness is absolutely something that we are we're able to do. Right. Trustee Shakrian, and then Trustee Hernandez has a question too. Thank you. Yeah, I I, uh, I guess I'm a bit confused. I was hoping for some more clarity around why we can't endorse nonpartisan uh, issues. I, I don't actually want to clarify. I, I don't actually I meant to say that. I'm not sure that we can't endorse uh, activity or take a, uh, a position on them. We, my understanding is we can't be engaged in political actions around them. So yeah, that's a very different thing. I just wanted to exactly. clarify because, I, quite frankly, uh, I think uh, you know it's likely Alameda County is going to have a bond measure related to homeless issues. Yeah. I think it would behoove us to take a position on that. And in fact, I, I think in the past we have actually taken positions on things. What we yeah. can't do is be engaged in political activity yeah, using taxpayer okay. funding. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, this is Maria. Um, what about <coughs> the effort to have health in all policy? This was a broad initiative, I think, from California Public Health. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that we should always be looking at policies with the lens of health and looking to adv advance those policies that promote health. Um, I, think it, I think that might fall exactly. in the same category yes. of we probably can't get out there and um, suggest policy, but we should be able to comment that a policy, if adopted, may have repercussions on the health of our community. Is that sure. true? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we have, right? Yeah. That's federal policy or, or others to state as well, right? We've commented quite strongly That's on public correct. charge, yes. or, you know, okay. single payer. immigration, Thank single you. payer. Yeah. yeah. 
just want to make sure that's okay. But we can't do political action. Right. On Back to you, Jerry. All right. <laughs> so um, we wanted to give you some examples of how similar um, governing bodies for California public health, uh, California public hospitals and, and healthcare system engage in, in governance activities. As as you know, our, our structure there's only two entities similar to us, in, in California, uh, there's us and there's Bakersfield, that, um, Kern County, Kern County, uh, that uh, don't don't report under a county structure. So for most public hospitals, they're um, um, legislative activities and government relations activities really do engage their elected members um, and, and their support. So um, we're very different in that regard. So we, we didn't find a lot of sort of comparative uh, organizations similar to ours to really align how um, boards are involved in, in advocacy activities. Um, of course, um, not-for-profit hospitals um, they utilize the trade associations and lobbyists uh, similar to, to what we do as well. So uh, that's a really, really quick overview of just the work that we do on, on a regular basis. Um, I think the question for today was to really start thinking about uh, having a discussion about how we better include uh, the board in these activities. And we had a list of questions for you all that might help inform that discussion. So um, just real quick, um, what we wanted to make sure of is <clears throat> how to align our work around the activities that are most important to members of the board. Um, what's the best use of your expertise, your time, and your relationships? Uh, as we talked earlier, um, there's, a, there's a lot there's limited bandwidth for the board, so we want to make sure that we're making best use of, and as Trustee DeVries mentioned earlier, the relationship that you have in key areas to help move this forward in a coordination, coordinated fashion. Um, and also, since from you guys, where do you believe uh, that you can add the most value to the work that we do on a regular basis? And my bigger question is the need to ensure, how do we ensure that as, as individual trustees are engaged in relationship building, engaged in conversations around key policies or legislative issues, um, how are they reflecting the uh, position or alignment with the full board? Okay. And <clears throat> how can we as staff support your ability to participate in these activities? Great question. I have idea. Yeah. <coughs> this Jensen. is Trustee Jensen. Um, I, I think it's been my experience um, being a, a legislator, being a person who makes the um, change, being on a school board where, where actions are done and where people lobby and where advocacy advocates come to help inform decision-making that um, the people who are on the board are often, I don't want to say more welcome or have more weight, but it, it, it seems to me that um, in my experience being on, being re receiving information and receiving um, comments from the public that 
the, the weight of the board members with regard to legislators can help advance the organization's agenda. So I, I'm not aware. I, I know that um, recently since last year, since we had the budget challenges, we've been more um, welcome or more requested by certain legislators. And I think that um, what I've noticed is that that's helped in other ways, in other uh, to address other agenda items that we have, not just the issues that we were asked to comment on or brought in to discuss, especially with regard to um, our local legislators. So I think that in the key activities are really, with regard to government relations, are the legislation and advocacy to support the legislation and advocacy of AHS legislation, actually. So a couple of thoughts. I have a couple yeah. of thoughts, so Trustee Chiefman. Um, the first, I think it's relational. Um, so, you know, District 1, for example, I live in District 1 and work in District 1, so I know people are running for office, and uh, um, that can be helpful um, in terms of developing long-lasting relationships. I do think that um, we, one of the great resources of the Board of Trustees is that we each come from representing uh, either in our jobs or in our advocacy interests uh, other issues outside of the more narrow uh, system issues, but issues that overlap. And so uh, you've heard me speak to homeless issues on, I try to be very careful about that because that's not the purpose of uh, our, uh, the intent of this system is to, to address homelessness, but homelessness impacts uh, the system, we talk constantly about inputs and outputs and, and uh, the homeless yes. challenge. And so I think uh, trustees, I'm just using myself as an example, but trustees, all of, all of us have relationships to those issues, information that could be valuable in terms of um, helping the system understand where it might uh, get involved outside of its sort of bubble or to uh, Trustee Hernandez's point about health looking at health as something much broader than just managing the system. Yeah. Um, homelessness, for example, is shifting. The, the data suggests that it's about housing. And then when you're in a county like Alameda County that has not actually made a lot of progress around housing homeless people, then advocating for change in that space at the local level as well as at the state level uh, can be in the best interest of the system. Just to fall through with the example I was giving, that's personal. So I think that's a big piece. I do think we have to be careful about being on the farm, uh, being careful not to rep use our, uh, to acknowledge that we have a, a, a sense of responsibility about being trustees when we're representing ourselves outside externally. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think there's anyone here that's a, you know, flag burner, but, uh, if, <laughs> you know, we'd have to, it's worth reflecting on the fact that our behavior is part of, uh, it's a part of our fiduciary responsibility to behave in such a way that it doesn't harm this system. That's my last thought. Put it negatively. <laughs> this is Maria Hernandez. Um, 
this gets into what we put on our social media feeds almost. And that's scary because um, many of us are very active and have a position on what's going on nationally. Um, so I do think, Terry, we need some guidance on a policy around what we might need to do with those venues, if you will. So on another board that I sit on, um, we've never been told we can't say something, but we've been told it would be wise to place on your profile that those represent your personal opinion and not any organization. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, today's testimony, I'm not going to be anybody's grenade, as you heard today. Rudy has a history of being somebody's grenade, apparently. Um, to, to our credit, I think all of the work that we've done in the past has been very clearly aligned with promoting wellness and health. And when we begin to get into homelessness or you know, legalizing marijuana or other things that have been somewhat, you know, they touch us in some ways. I, I think the board has to come together and say, is this something that we need to do? And we have. Um, but if you're asking us to be careful about our personal you know, statements, our views, we, we should definitely have some working policy around that. And, and I know that we don't right now. So that might be a helpful set of guidance. Actually, I, I don't think that there, there is a section of the board policies and procedures which does address the issue of conflicts of interest and talks about the distinction between and some. And I think, it, I think what would need to happen is to, to look at that language and figure out how it might need to be expanded. But there is some guide that was addressed in the policy right. and procedures. Can, can I recommend, because I, I don't want that dropped, I think that's okay. pretty yeah. important. Can I recommend that the officers have a conversation about this and bring it back? Sure. Recommendation. Sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I can't do that anymore. We're I'm not. <laughs> when you say the officers, the officers of the board, is the, executive the, committee, the executive committee of the board, yes. so you're suggesting that they have a meeting? to discuss this it would be a meet, it would constitute a meeting yes. if that's not allowed don't do it <laughs> god sakes don't do it <laughs> all right except no, it, it's it's it wouldn't be that it's not allowed it just sure or we get added to an agenda item i uh retreat yeah. agenda I, I have real confidence on all of you to to maintain and represent this organization well um I don't know. Maybe I, it's a 10-minute presentation. Yeah, staff. but sure, 10 yeah. minutes from staff. I'm helping be, people at, be successful. At our next retreat, I think that's a great idea, sure. I wanted to turn less on approach and more on content for a minute. Um, I really want to help secure more sustainable, uh, su sustainable funding streams for the system at the local and state level. And so I really, like, let's just break it down. We live in a... Um, in a healthcare friendly county, we're a progressive uh, county. Our elected uh, uh, officials, both locally and at state, are all um, generally backed by our labor organizations, who we sometimes feel we're in conflict with. 
because we are representing management. And I think if we can align with those strong labor organizations like the CNA or SEIU around demanding that the state better fund the public health uh, safety net system and make ourselves really relevant to our assembly and senators on key pieces of legislation and just keep hammering those, I think if we could get two or three legislative victories a year that can increase the revenue coming into this system, uh, then, then that would be success. Um, that, that's my thinking. And, and, and Terry, I'll leave it up to you and your experts to tell us what those pieces of legislation are and whether we should maybe propose legislation and ask a local legislative delegation to, to sponsor it. Uh, I mean, let's just be bold and say, here's an idea, and here's how it would help us, and we know from our association that it would help all of these critical safety net hospitals, and then work it, and work it with our labor partners. Um, that's, that's what I think. Um, at, the, at the county level, I just think we do need to continue our meetings with our board of supervisors, continue to make our issues relevant to them and understandable by continuing ongoing meetings. I don't, I don't know that there's more to be said about that. Um, I think they're, 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 they're answering the phone. That, that door is open. We, we've, we've made it that way and we should keep it that way. But I really think we need to ask more of our state, um, especially with the kind of surplus they saw last year. Uh, so, uh, one comment. So, um, Trustee Chieflin. <laughs> the, to that last point, and I, I was thinking it earlier, uh, I, think, I thought of this earlier when uh, Terry referred to the system being one of two systems in the state that aren't directly governed by the county, public hospital systems not directly uh, governed by the county. I think that's a, a, it's certainly a distinction. It shouldn't actually prohibit uh, a deep collaboration uh, between Alameda Health System and Alameda County around setting uh, an advocacy advocacy goals um, at the state because I don't think there's there's you know we may have uh, difficult discussions about many things but I don't think there's going to be conflict there right because uh, it's a common interest right so I, I think there's an I'll just put it this way I think there's an opportunity to, to deepen our relationship in that particular area and work together more closely. Yeah. Trustee Banerjee. Trustee Banerjee, um, I wanted to say that you, we've, when we've talked about the board self-evaluation, one of the things that we've spoken about is does, besides the strategic goal or priorities of the organization, does the board have one, like, have its own priority for this year or so. So while we are thinking about all of the different ways in which the, what kind of bandwidth do we have, what are the different issue areas that we want to be engaging in. But I think in our retreat, uh, we might also want to think as a board, what should be our focus, if it's funding or something, where we kind of really crystallize and distill our focus on an issue if it's big enough and push that forward as a board. So just kind of thinking that through as well. For our January retreat is right. not, not scheduled. Right. 
I have our four retreat, uh, retreat topics, by the way. <laughs> Trustee Hernandez uh, gave me this Wonderful. earlier. I don't know that we need to vote on it, but I'll just tell you it's, it's uh, number one is quality of patient care and patient experience. Number two is financial forecast, and that's usually a spring retreat. Third, to what uh, Trustee Banerjee just said, would be strategic plan adoption, board goals, and governance. Mm -hmm. And then fourth would be workforce and provider relations. So those are the big four. What proposed? Uh, proposed. And if you want to be on the ad hoc retreat planning committee, you can have an impact on this if you don't like it. I, I think that's Sorry. probably it. There you go, sir. Um, did anyone else have comments? Terry, I really appreciate you putting this together, and I really feel like don't be afraid to come asking us to, to jump on board with you on a call or a letter or a meeting. Um, you know, we, we, that's, I really want to make myself available, and I, I think the other trustees do as well. I have one final question. Yes. This is Trustee Jensen. Um, Terry, you mentioned that um, as part of the delegations for CDPH and others, you go to Sacramento or Washington or other places. Do trustees of organizations often go, or is that always staff and CEOs? It's typically mostly staff, and, and there's there's really a good reason for that. When we go to Washington, D.C. and Sacramento, most of the time we're not really engaging with the elected officials, so we're meeting with a lot of staff. And depending upon the election cycle and what's going on, even some of the staff we meet with are changing, so are moving in different positions and taking new roles uh, within whether it's Congress or state capital. I have found that the, 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 the best opportunity for us to engage with our elected officials is actually locally uh, versus uh, going to uh, Washington, D.C., where it's really, really difficult to get any sort of face time with them unless we can plan that in advance. So if there's a major issue in which you want to get in front of an elected person and they dedicate the time to make that happen, then we, can, we need to coordinate that very carefully. Can I, can I add something to your question? Sure. Um, I can wait if you want to I mean, another kind of related, do you, do you advocate at CMS? Is this? So, okay, so let me let me add, and so this is Del Vecchio. Um, so in addition, generally the Hill visits, whether they're state, well, mainly they're different at the federal level. Um, they're combined with meetings of the um, association that is actually hosting it, in this case, AEH, uh, where Four we- Four annual four meetings that they have? Um, no, this is- uh, Four retreats? <laughs> they're not retreats. They're not retreats in the board sense. They're uh, um, uh, what we call them fall and spring meetings of the membership of those organizations, and uh, it's a combination of uh, membership-wide education on key issues and where we are, whether they're things that are active or things that are kind of on the horizon, and then a kind of a set of shared talking points uh, that are malleable. So it's like talking points plus whatever you'd like to do, so that when you do your hill visits, the the, the structure is this way because it gives you the greatest chance of getting into the offices and they facilitate all of that right. for us. Uh, so, so Tara's point is, I think, right, that uh, it's sort of hit or miss whether we get the actual member or their staff, um, but it's structured that way and we often don't go alone. It's like us and maybe two or three other entities and so it's kind of a, you know, a big uh, um, um, bang for the buck for the member or their staff to get uh, input from various stakeholders at the same time. Uh, however, what I'd like to add is that a lot of the organizations uh, for which we're a part, mainly actually the, the larger ones uh, that are not exclusive to our types of organizations, so AHA, the American Hospital Association, and CHA, the California Hospital Association, have governance-based 
um, uh, steering entities for which um, there is varying degrees of uh, engagement that if you're interested in it, there are possibilities even, uh, we have governance members, I'm trying to think if it's still the case in CHA, but it is for AHA, governance members who actually get um, uh, brought onto the boards of those organizations so that that voice is lifted there. But there's always a convening of governance members so that you can think about and help inform and shape the policy directions that those organizations take. If those are things that you're interested in, I could certainly help facilitate awareness of them and then you know, to the extent that time and uh, um, uh, opportunity permits, you're, you might want to engage. Uh, again, and it's not as pure as the work you do on a local level, but it is all quite relevant to what, what impacts us uh, uh, as a, a provider organization. Well, and, and I appreciate that, and I would like to be informed, and I um, can just point out that there is a, a huge issue at the state level that AHS has been working on, which is the seismic requirements for 2014, then 18, now 2020, as well as the seismic requirements for 2030. There's been several bills, one bill's been held over to the next session mm -hmm. to um, change that. So these are state level issues that are really relevant. And of course, there's always other issues around um, around requirements for for participation and um, changes yes. in the Medi-Cal law. So my, that would be great. I'd like to know more about that. Sure. And um, I also, yeah, my, my the other question that related was with regard to federal and state, I mean, how do, are there opportunities or potential for boards to support HS activities at well, like within the administrative side? Yeah, so that's a little bit different. Uh, so particularly, uh, I'll speak at the state level first. So it's mainly not um, uh, CDPH, but it's um, I was about to say health. The, uh, no, no, no. Um, uh, Thank you. Uh, no, DMHC is medical uh, managed care. DHCS, uh, thank you. DHCS. Um, yeah, it's way too many, uh, way too many acronyms. Um, but when we interact with the administrative side, that's usually not a form where they, they are wanting governance members to be there because that's about kind of the execution of a policy. Uh, so I say that, that, or either a policy or a direction that they're going in. Uh, and those aren't as structured. Those are kind of like on a one-off basis. Um, uh, sometimes they are facilitated by the organization that the advocacy organizations were in, so that still does happen, but not um, even rare, uh, if ever, I'm trying to think through my history, that you have uh, governance, uh, governance folks interacting there. Now, with CMS, we tend to not have those same, or I should say those, those interactions are a little bit rarer even than they are at the state level. For CMS, what we usually do uh, is um, they have to put out proposed rulemaking, and there's a 90-day period, and so we work with those agencies to look at those that impact us, and we get a response in, whether it's AHS-specific or whether we inform the response that's provided by another agency. But that's a little bit more kind of um, impersonal. We're doing it as a part of a kind of formal response process. Thank you. Then, and finally, that you mentioned that there are these groups. You said AHA in Washington, where they'll have a, a meeting while while Terry or you or uh, others from here are going to go on gang visits to the Hill, mm -hmm. along with learning more about advocacy issues. But what about in California? I think, and that would yes. be really helpful. And if board members could attend or be aware of those meetings when um, California Association was essential. CHA uh, or the central, or CHA, yeah. yeah. If there if there are conventions or whatever that they might have, that would be really yes. helpful, and we could use it as a learning experience. 
So uh, we'll be happy to pass along. C CAPH has an annual uh, meeting of which a couple of us attend. I have been very uh, strategic about it because it's an organizational investment. Particularly when they're in Northern California, it's less of an investment uh, if it doesn't involve overnight stays. It's usually a two and a half day uh, conference that happens in December of every year. Um, a uh, and CHA doesn't do an annual conference of a similar nature, but they do have convenings of governance uh, members, and, and I can, we can look into getting you information Thank on that. Sure. All right, I am ending this agenda item. I'm Trustee DeVries, by the way. And uh, thank you very much. And in the interest of time, we're going to move on to our Cal-AIM update, item uh, F5. What's that? It's uh, you and uh, Tangerine. Oh it's, yes. oh, it's Tangerine and Tangerine. <coughs> All right, oh, good. She's on her way over. Excellent. <laughs> thank you, Terry. to do uh, is give an overview of CalAIM. Let me just say that uh, this will probably one in a series of updates that we make uh, to the Board of Trustees. Uh, this proposal has just been released within the last you know, two weeks. Um, there will be public process that I'll talk about later, but uh, suffice it to say that there are a number of unanswered questions. You may pose questions to me for which I say, we don't have an answer at this point. Okay. Where do I point? Where do I point? I touched it. <laughs> <laughs> He's magical. So Cal A stands for California Advancing and Innovating uh, Medi-Cal. CalAIM is the state's answer to uh, 1115 waiver renewal. I think you have heard uh, many times before that the state made a commitment to CMS that it would not do a large scale 1115 waiver again. The state has done three of those in a row over a 15 year period. And really CMS is really interested in not having these successive demonstrations. So this is a part around waiver renewal, uh, part around program and uh, payment reform in Medi-Cal. And uh, the initiatives are really in four areas. Medi-Cal managed care, behavioral health, dental, which has been a longstanding issue for the state, and a number of other uh, programs and services. So there are three goals around uh, the waiver, one of which I think we can all relate to, which is you know, really population health. How does the state really start to use its data to identify members, to identify risk, appropriately use the health plans to stratify 
uh, that population and develop interventions and programs that are appropriate. The state wants to build on the whole person care activities that it's funded under the current waiver to do that. And to address social determinants of health, I think it's been really clear the state wants to broaden uh, the entities that participate in CalAIM above and beyond uh, the traditional healthcare uh, organizations. Uh, Medi-Cal is complicated. It's complicated for the state to administer. It's complicated for providers and health plans to adhere to the provisions. And it's certainly complicated for patients to understand sometimes what they're eligible for and who to get services for. So the state is really looking to simplify uh, the process uh, on the back end for themselves and hoping that will create uh, greater clarity um, for the, uh, the rest of us. And then finally, um, the last thing around improving quality outcomes. I mean, this is just something one should do within the context of healthcare uh, on a daily basis, but the state is really looking at continuing to drive value-based reforms. Paying for value is something that you'll see throughout this waiver. Um, the Newsom administration has taken the opportunity to use CalAIM really to advance some of the areas that um, uh, the governor himself or others within the administration seem are valuable. Um, health to, for all is not necessarily expanding health care coverage to the undocumented population for which the governor <coughs> is very interested in doing is very supportive. But it's more about um, really how for those people who have coverage, how do we uh, make it more about prevention and wellness and less about acute and episodic care. Um, high utilizers, we know that 5 to 10 percent of you know, any population is about 80 percent of the health care expenditure. And how do we delve into that deeper um, behavioral health? Vulnerable children is essentially CCS. You know, those families that have to navigate the California Children's Services Program along with children's hospitals and Medi-Cal. Um, homelessness and housing um, is of great interest uh, to this governor. Justice involved population, so moving up above and beyond what uh, the Affordable Care Act already um, did, which was allow you to sort of start Medi-Cal applications while someone is still incarcerated right before they're about to be discharged. This goes further than that. And then, you know, I'm feeling it. I turned 58 a few weeks ago. I'm all for aging population and helping <laughs> here. So this is not an all-inclusive list, but it just gives a crosswalk of those programmatic components that um, either relate to AHS directly or will be uh, impacted, or we will be impacted by. Um, so Medi-Cal Managed Care, um, I won't really talk about the waiver components uh, and the mechanisms, only to say that for the most part, most of these are implemented in a little over a year. So it's a very ambitious program to get started by January 1st, 2021. Medi-Cal Managed Care continues, but uh, in a, a much more robust format. The whole person care pilots, the whole person care pilots will end and they'll be moved into what I'll be talking about later, which is enhanced care management and in lieu of services. Uh, Prime will actually end, and it will be merged with QIP, 
And uh, so we already have QIP with 30 metrics, as you can imagine, those will increase. Uh, QIP actually ends before the current 1115 waiver, which is why you see under the timeline uh, QIP 2.0, which is for a six-month period, and then the state wants to really put everything on the same time frame, and then there'll be a QIP 3.0, which will start January 1st, 2021. So we're gonna have uh, three phases of the quality incentive uh, program. Now, the global payment program will actually continue as a waiver. And that's because, if we all uh, remember, uh, GPP is for the uninsured. It is not for the Medi-Cal population. And so that program will continue as part of the 1115 uh, waiver, and the state will be asking for a five-year renewal for that. Health Homes, a program which just started uh, in our county uh, in July, uh, of this year will be ending and it will be merged uh, into uh, a combined you know, enhanced care management in lieu of services. Dental transformation will end and the state will just put it as part of the state plan. Um, every state in California to participate, I'm sorry, every state in California, every state in the United States uh, to participate in Medicaid has to have a state plan. And so the Dental Transformation Initiative will just go into the state plan. Um, and then finally, a program that we do not participate in this county, there are only seven counties that participate in it, it is essentially the Coordinated Care Initiative, which is uh, Medicaid, which is managed care for both the Medi-Cal and the Medicare component if someone is duly insured. And so the state has CCI. The state is looking at transitioning that to statewide and not making it voluntary and making it mandatory. So it will be impacted by that. So there are 22 proposals in Cal A. Uh, all of them are valuable. Uh, and, uh, but for the pur our purposes, we're focusing um, on eight of the 22, but obviously we'll follow all of them. I will say that not all of these will require a waiver approval, either um, in a 1915B waiver, which is essentially a freedom of choice waiver. Some of them can be done really through the state's <laughs> contracts with Medi-Cal managed care plans, but I think the state wanted to present you know, a pretty holistic vision of the initiatives that it is taking forward. So I'm just gonna go through these eight. I'll try to be as, as quick as possible. So population health, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it. Okay, we know what it is. Assess the population, identify their risk, get them to the right providers, make sure you're addressing uh, their needs. One of the things I, I would uh, point out is the last bullet there, plan oversight and health information uh, technology support. The state is going to increase its uh, not only oversight but its expectations around the IT systems that health plans have to have in place to be able to do this work effectively and to do it prospect prospectively as opposed to retrospectively. You know, we get from you know, one of our health plans a very comprehensive list on a monthly basis of high utilizers, where they have been, everything, but that's after the fact. You know, and I think the, really the state wants to try to help plans identify and use data to really anticipate where we might see someone's utilization. 
enhanced care management. Apologies for the small print, but uh, the uh, key uh, point on this slide is this is a new mandated benefit in Medi-Cal. So we already have care management as a benefit. We already have complex care management as a benefit for seniors and persons with disabilities. Now for the entire population, they'll be eligible for enhanced care management. It really uh, comes from, and I, I thought I saw, yeah, I thought I saw our whole person care group routine back there, comes from a lot of the learnings that the state has found with the whole person care uh, pilots that care coordination and care management is really important. And that you know, we have people, particularly if they're either multi, uh, uh, users of multiple systems of care, where they may have care management in mental health, in substance abuse, in physical health. And you know, it's not clear that all those care managers speak to each other or know each other. But, um, so it really built on the health home model. It built on the whole person care model. Um, and it will, as I said, replace what both of those programs currently have. Um, the other thing um, to note is that this gets rid of, as a result of getting enhanced care management, targeted care management. You may have heard of the acronym TCM. Um, so that will no longer be eligible for the Medi-Cal population. And that's used to essentially um, provide resources to facilitate someone's access into Medi-Cal. And providers such as us uh, claim, and we are able to get dollars for that. That will no longer be available for the Medi-Cal uh, managed care uh, population. The one thing I should also say, while the state is adding this as a benefit and the requirement will go through managed care plans, this is a new thing managed care plans will have to do, it's unclear <coughs> how much money the state will give plans to do this work. They're going to put that amount of money in their existing rate so it'll be difficult to carve out and understand how the health plans um, will be required uh, to do this. The next area is in lieu of services. And in lieu of services sort of matches the, the enhanced care management. The distinction is that enhanced care management is a mandatory benefit. In lieu of services is not. It is voluntary. In lieu of services is essentially the ability to provide a medically appropriate service for someone in a more costly manner uh, and use it as an alternative to a service that someone would get as a Medi-Cal benefit. So as an example, let's just say we have someone uh, at one of our acute care hospitals who is homeless. They're no longer, they came in, they're acutely ill. They're no longer acutely ill. We have to discharge them. In today's world, if we wanted to discharge them into a recuperative care bed, that cost would have to be borne by the system or, you know, we're uh, grateful that Alameda County set up the recuperative care clinic with Adeline, uh, at Adeline uh, with LifeLaw, um, but that's at county cost. But that is a good substitute in terms of being able to provide medical oversight and not keeping someone languishing in an acute care bed where they're not eligible for under in lieu of services, that would actually be covered by Medi-Cal and could be covered by the health plan. The problem is, 
that an in lieu of service cannot um, be required either of the health plan or of the beneficiary. So if we did have someone who was homeless and we said, look, we've got a recuperative care uh, place for you, and that person said, well, I don't want to go there, they can deny it because it is not a Medi-Cal benefit. I want to make sure that that's clear before I go to the next slide. That clear? Yeah, one more time. <laughs> one more time. Real quick. Oh, you. Okay. So it is not a required Medi-Cal benefit. And you can't take a service that is not a required benefit and require someone to take it in place of a required benefit for which they are legally eligible for. No, that yeah. Okay. So the in lieu of services. So the one thing about the, the list of services is that they're really targeting two populations. They're targeting homeless individuals and they're targeting the long-term care population. So you can see you, there are five housing-related services. Um, you would be able to, a health plan could pay for housing deposits. It's great that someone might be able to find permanent housing, maybe it's subsidized, but if there's no one who can pay for the deposit, you know, that person doesn't have that uh, ability. Housing tenancy, short-term, um, post-hospitalization, all the things that we need, not so much for this delivery system, but really across the healthcare delivery system given uh, the, house, the housing shortage and the homeless population. Sobering centers, you know, coming from San Francisco, the first uh, uh, health uh, department I worked for, they've had a sobering center for over 20 years. But we don't have a sobering center here, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was just testing you to make sure that you know it was Cherry Hill and you passed. <laughs> so we want for a sobering center. Um, Long-term care, you know, uh, one of the things uh, we know is that there is a shortage of skilled nursing facilities across California. Um, some individuals need transition uh, from an acute care facility or from a skilled nursing facility back to their home or another assisted living facility. Um, and so this provides options for that population. Uh, the next is incentive payments. So I just said that in lieu of services were voluntary, right? So generally, what happens when you as a health plan are really good today and driving down your cost? You're going to invest in things that lower the cost curve. So when the state gets your data and the state looks at your expenditures, are you rewarded for what you do? No your rates go down. Mm -hmm. The state recognizes that. And because in lieu of services are voluntary, the state is saying, <coughs> well, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to build into the health plan rates any savings from using these lower cost in lieu of services to essentially entice managed care plans to provide these services. Otherwise, they may not because 
their capitation rates may fall. Mm -hmm. And obviously when their capitation rates mm -hmm. fall, their ability to provide reimbursement to their provider next networks fall. So the state is saying, look, we want you to invest in these things. So we're not going to touch your rates probably for the first two years. And then after that, we want to talk about some type of shared uh, savings arrangement where maybe you get to keep a portion and then we take a portion off of your rate. Um, we will not know the financing of this. The governor's budget is due to be released by January 10th of each year. It's in the Constitution. And so we'll have a better sense at that point um, how the governor is thinking of financing this piece. Full integration plans. So we know that we have Medi-Cal managed care plans from the health side. We know that all 58 counties are responsible for being the mental health managed care plan. And there are two counties, Sacramento and Los Angeles, that have dental managed care plan for the medical health population. Um, and so the state is really trying to address this fragmentation across the system. They see it most acutely around mental health where there's some confusion uh, for patients and what constitutes a mild to moderate mental health issue that I'm having that day versus a serious mental health issue that I might be having that day and which telephone number to call. And so the state is really thinking about could they actually have health plans that do it all. This is pretty complex. And so the timeline for this is not on the January 1st, 21 timeline. This is going, uh, they're hoping uh, and assume the plans wouldn't be selected until uh, later and not, would not go live until sometime in 2024, you know, five years from now. NCQA accreditation. So, you know, health plans are, are, are subject to audits and oversight by two organi state organizations. DMHC, when that's all health plans, irrespective of Medi-Cal or commercial. And then for Medi-Cal, the Department of Healthcare Services. Um, the state does audits. It does CAP reports, C-A-P-H, which are corrective action reports. The state is trying to simplify its oversight and streamlining. And what better way than requiring the health plans from their perspective to get national accreditation. Mm. And so that it will use that accreditation to deem them as having met some of the requirements. And the state is even thinking about uh, determining whether NCQA can ha add a Medicaid module that will make it even easier. So essentially, you know, um, uh, it, it, it certainly is making the, the state's life uh, a little easier on the administrative side, but it's also true that it makes sense that they, that health plans meet, you know, standardized quality metrics across the board, right? Regional Medi-Cal rates. Um, now, regional rates is not unusual. Cover California does regional rates, right? Now, LA is one region, within that region it has two or three rates, but the notion of regional rates is not unheard of in California. It is unheard of in Medi-Cal managed care because today the state negotiates and has rates for each of the health plans. And those rates vary by 
groupings of eight codes. So you can have a family aid code capitation rate, a child aid code capitation rate, a disabled, aged, blind, and disabled uh, rates. And so the state is looking at developing regional rates. And you know, depending upon what region we're lumped in, you know, not to disparage San Joaquin, but you know, they are a lower cost county. And if Alameda County is lumped in with San Joaquin and it's a regional rate, it could bring down our rate, although it might bring up San Joaquin's rates. So we will certainly be looking at this so, because this impacts us uh, directly. Behavioral health payment reform. Um, you know, the state currently goes through a very cumbersome, lengthy, you know, certified public expenditure. And it's essentially, it's a cost base where uh, the um, counties have to submit claims and they can only get reimbursed for their cost. And there's a pretty long process of reconciliation. The state wants to go towards IGTs. The state also wants to change um, how they do uh, outpatient services and uh, inpatient uh, services. Um, the state wants to have essentially um, a desire to standardize medical necessity. Um, it, is, it differs apparently across the counties and the state wants to standardize uh, that in uh, some way on the inpatient mental health side. I don't think this is a problem for us, but I guess it varies by counties. Um, they want to ensure that there are physician certificates actually documenting that someone needs to be in an acute care psychiatric facility. Um, it was interesting reading that because I thought, would have thought that that would have been a requirement already, but perhaps that is not a requirement. And so some of the, those are some of the things that uh, they're doing in behavioral health. Um, the benefits, I will just say the biggest one uh, two are really pharmacy, and you know that we have been tracking this. this the governor proposed um, taking pharmacy away from Medi-Cal managed care uh, plans and essentially having all pharmacy um, fee-for-service with the state as the purchaser. Um, the last category really has to do with changes and responsibilities for our managed care plans and how that will affect us. Um, uh, there will be, uh, the health plans will be responsible for a range of uh, disabled services and skilled nursing services that they're not responsible for today as a result of going towards um, the covered, the Care Connect initiative. And then finally, um, currently major organ transplants with the exception of kidney are carved out of health plans. Uh, now they'll be, if this goes through, health plans will be responsible for transplants. That means that they'll be getting the dollars from the state and they will be responsible for coordinating that. Today what happens is if someone needs a heart transplant, they're referred out to that heart transplant and then that transplant provider um, gets fee-for-service reimbursement from the state. That will no longer be the case. So the state has uh, a pretty um, aggressive and truncated timeline, some would say, uh, for stakeholder engagement. It started this month. Um, it ends in February. There are five committees. We, have, we don't have any um, staff 
uh, on the committees, but we have staff monitoring each of uh, the committees and participating on a listen-only mode um, in each of them bringing back information to us. You see the timeline here uh, for the process. The state is hoping to submit uh, to CMS in the summer uh, along with its 1115 waiver for GPP, which is uh, important. Um, we'll uh, get a sense, obviously, between now and then uh, whether or not this proposal stays in the current uh, form. Um, and then uh, if it is approved by the state, no, by the feds, and they'll be back and forth for that, um, the state will begin on January 1st, 2021, and then the remaining programs are over that remaining five-year period. <coughs> Some key takeaway messages. You know, it's very thoughtful. The state's approach, you know, builds on the waivers. I think it's really important that there's a movement and a consolidation under Medi-Cal Managed Care. We really have to recognize that. <coughs> the state started, you know, 20 years ago with just 13 counties. Now it's statewide. Now it's more services. It's encompassing a much broader delivery system, so it's not, you know, providers at the center, medical providers. I think mm -hmm. the notion of going into housing, sobering centers, is a key indication that the state wants to broaden the delivery system because it understands that those services are necessary to improve health status. Um, the last three, care coordination and quality, this is something um, we've always uh, known the state to be focused on. Um, and the next to the last bullet, we still don't have enough clarity on the financing picture. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be our focus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that'll be our focus, obviously, because we want to understand, you know, what is the potential lost waiver dollars and what are we doing to help replace those dollars. Remember, as a result of the Medicaid managed care rule, there are no directed payments that health plans can give public hospitals anymore. But we have a lot of these dollars shifting towards health plans. We have, we have worked with and will continue to uh, work to strive to have good uh, relationships with our health plan partners. And I said the last bullet, so I just would re be repeating myself. What are we doing? Um, we're going to be participating in uh, Alameda County-wide conversations and discussions. Last Friday at the Alameda County Care for Connect uh, Committee, there was a discussion on CalAIM. There's going to be a deep dive on CalAIM in December, and we have uh, representatives from AHS uh, participating in the discussion that HICSA will be holding. Good. We're obviously monitoring CalAIM activities. We're working with our public hospitals. We absolutely will be working with Kim. Uh, and her team on the financial analyses. We're going to be hearing more next week at the CAPH uh, annual conference. There's a specific meeting solely for the CFOs that Kim will be attending. Um, we will certainly keep the Board of Trustees and other key officials informed about the impacts to us. And we are creating uh, an internal Cal AIM committee with the following representation. Any questions? Excellent. Clarification: What does the public, how, how does the public stakeholder input between now and February look like? What, what are, how is that? How's the state going to be doing that? So what the state uh, did was it um, developed a process. It solicited, it solicited uh, members 
each of the committees has, I would say, 15 to 20. Um, the meetings um, are not public um, in that um, you can't go to Sacramento to participate in the meetings, but there is a conference line available. Uh, the state will be um, uh, issuing uh, summary information from each of those, and it will be documenting what changes it's making in its proposal based on feedback from the stakeholders. So, like public comments. Sorry, sorry. Uh, so, um, so there has to be like a mechanism by which yeah, yes. and so yeah. So, we have had all of our staff who are participating in our own journal work group, and um, they have signed up uh, to the state website. The state uh, has a website. Um, that provides information on when all of the meetings are being held for each of the five areas where you can provide comments, all of those kinds of things, and we're tracking it that way. Right, thank you. Trustee Shiran. Thank you. Uh, two questions. The first one is, uh, what's a realistic expectation for the Board of Trustees and on getting a financial analysis of the impact of this? And I understand that will probably be rolling, but right. at least well, on this yeah. one. So yes, I, I think the, the rolling is the right word. I think that initially any impact would probably not come until probably February. And that's because we have to wait for the governor's budget. Much of this will be on the governor's budget. And so, and that's not released till January 10th. Okay, and okay. then um, what will happen is the secretary, Secretary Galley, um, uh, along with the interim director for the Department of Healthcare Services, Richard Figueroa, will do a series of roadshows um, about this. Um, we know that through CAPH, um, we um, are uh, working with them, and they will be doing a significant amount of sort of broad-stroke fiscal analysis uh, in terms of how this impacts all the public hospitals. And one of the things that they often do is that they will drill down for each of the public hospitals. But we're not going to simply rely on CAPH. CAPH will do that work. We provide data into that. But we'll also be doing our own. But you know, I would say February would be the earliest. Then, as you can imagine, um, there will be, um, after the May revise, Something else will come out right. that will further clarify. So that's a rolling. Okay. And so it'll yeah. be rolling. That's the state so, of California. That's right, rolling. right. And so I, I think it's just important to recognize, don't take any of the numbers in stone or yeah, stone, I mean, whatever I, that phrase is. I just is. think it would be good for the trustees. Uh, probably finance committee is going to request oh, yeah. that this be an item on, on the agenda, oh, yeah. constant reporting. Yes. Another question relates, uh, and this is back to uh, Terry's presentation, one of my areas of expertise, because I've been doing this work for a while, is, is housing homeless people. And one of the things I notice, uh, I, we work in uh, six counties, we're going to work in seven next year, is that the best practice counties, and I don't happen to be in one right now, uh, it's not because there aren't good people here and good thought, but we have those counties that are really succeeding at housing homeless people permanently are weaving this sort of funding uh, very creatively. Um, and so I just say that out loud because I think we should be involved in advocacy for um, making sure that this system creates a pipeline that, uh, towards permanency. 
one of the things that I notice a lot right now is there's because the crisis is so apparent that there's a great temptation to focus only on the front end of the problem. You shelter someone for three months, the problem didn't go away for the individual and certainly not for the community. We need to create permanent supportive housing. And this system needs that to happen because someone leaves a shelter, where are they going? Someone leaves a shelter sick, where are they going? They're, they're coming here. So um, and just to underline it, yeah. today there are three supportive housing projects in Oakland that are dead in the water because Alameda County did not prioritize its housing bond uh, primarily for, for supportive housing where its greatest need is. So I think, you know, I just want us to be uh, really engaged in making sure our interests are, are covered. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why we really um, believe that it's important to, let me just go back. <coughs> You know, participate in countywide conversations with the key stakeholders. I mean, you know, we have HICSA here. I mean, we consider the the county overall, including HICSA. HICSA's a great partner, by the yeah, way. I want yeah, to, right. <laughs> to be critical, the health plans to be critical, housing providers to be critical. I mean, th this is not, you know, a, a waiver. J just as whole person care, I think, was an opportunity for counties to bring together entities that don't normally work together on an effort. You know, I participate um, in the whole person care um, committee that's chaired by uh, Dr. Kathleen Clannon. And I will tell you, it has probation there, it has housing there, it has health there, it has social services there. And I think that the same strategy and approach will be needed, particularly given yeah. the in lieu services. I mean, I think that sort of your expertise and others, you know, how to get our health plan partners to take what they might perceive to be a very si significant risk on in lieu of services. Right. Because they have no idea what will happen three or four years down the road. But we know that those options work. Not only they work for throughput, but they just work for quality of life for our, our uh, patients. Yeah, and I'll, I'll make this point too. The, uh, the requirement that the services be voluntary, I understand from a monetized perspective that provides some uncertainty, but actually when it comes to partnering with homeless people, providing respectful voluntary options to people is a much more successful way to go because then people choose what they really want in their hearts not uh, they're not responding to limited options they're not feeling like that's all they they have in front of them they're, it's up to them sir they have agency yeah, yeah that, that's a really good point and, and maybe I, I should have also said uh, on the um, voluntary the reason why it's voluntary is that none of those services are Medicaid Benefit services, but that's why. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Outside. Are now over. I thought we got rid of that. You say that every time. He does say it every time. Well, if I want to visit my family member, dang it, I'm going to visit him at 9 p.m. Then you will be welcome. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, I'm going to take that as an opportunity to close this out. Um, uh, great, great stuff. Um, pretty complex. 
And I think you know this is somewhere where our, our board could in, could you know would want to be inserted to do some advocacy when the time is right. Um, so I trust you and Terry to tell us when to stand up in front of the mic and what to say. All right. We will uh, do that. And with the, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. Oh, are you finished? Are we finished with open session? Uh, well, we have public comment. All right. Yeah. That was um, I because the reports won't be heard. But I that's great. I just wanted I was going to ask that that be heard since our public commenters since we changed the public comment to the end. Now they've been here for three hours. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I will do that right now. Um, I have Kenneth uh, Zhu, um, Thank Tracy you. Reams, and uh, Doug Jones. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Tangerine. Also brought along a little handout. That, um, if you could pass that, it's not. Sorry. It's not Sorry. anything that you need to follow along so, as I speak. But I just wanted to check out this in more copy than you could take. Thank you. trustees. Um, my name is Kenneth Zoe. I'm the hospital follow-up supervisor at the Crisis Support Services of Alameda County. Um, we're a part of the National Suicide Lifeline Prevention Network. Um, I'm here to speak about our hospital follow-up program uh, in hopes that we might be able to form a partnership with uh, AHS to help support patients um, that have been discharged uh, and are at risk of suicide and to support them with follow-up services. Um, so currently in our follow-up program, uh, when a patient consents to being a part of it, uh, we make regular outreach calls to them after they've been discharged, and we support them throughout the, the post-discharge process and help them in get, uh, getting connected with resources and also help them uh, you know, build up the confidence to, to be able to make it to that first appointment. Um, in, in 2009, a, a case control study found that out of a population of patients that had died by suicide after discharge, 43 of those, 43% of those suicides occurred within a month of their discharge, and 47% of those individuals died before their first follow-up appointment. Um, so the weeks following discharge uh, from psychiatric care are a really critical period for suicide risk, and we want to be able to serve as a safety net for these discharged patients. Um, our current proposal for uh, how we've been trying to work with people in the area is through obtain, uh, obtaining con consent from any patient who has had a suicide attempt or has had suicidal ideation um, to release information to us. Um, so typically a partnership would entail uh, including a consent form in the care process, whether that's uh, at intake or at discharge or anywhere in between. Um, in certain facilities, that's a physical form that gets faxed to us. Uh, I, I imagine in the case of AHS, uh, EPIC would probably be the way to, to go about that. Um, and there was a study in 2014 that found that post-discharge follow-up uh, calls for patients who are at risk of suicide have been found to have really significant returns on investment. Um, and that being said, the program, as well as my position, are entirely funded by the state of California through the Mental Health Services Act. Um, so this service wouldn't come at any additional cost to the hospital or uh, any of the patients. Uh, in fact, we were actually recently approved for funding starting next year in July um, 
to provide up to 50 patients with phones for those that don't have them. Uh, because in our experience, we've actually found that one of the barriers to ser uh, services for certain patients has been that they don't have a phone number and they don't have a phone to be able to uh, work with us as an agency as well as get connected with any of the local uh, treatment resources. Um, so ultimately, it's, it's uh, I think, a matter of just being able to form this partnership and, and kind of tap into this service that's already existing. Um, and we really do believe that this partnership could be uh, really significant uh, in helping to support our psychiatric facilities and, and their patients. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate this. And yeah. um, we're going to follow up with our staff about it. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you for giving us time to come and speak with you tonight. Um, my name is Tracy Reams. I'm a respiratory therapist at Alameda Hospital. I'm here with my colleagues Grace Amin and Michelle Harrell, respectively unit secretary and HIM workers. We are part of the SEIU UHW bargaining team. Um, I'm also the chief steward for Alameda Hospital. Um, we had our first bargaining date on November 1st. It did not go well. It came across to all of us as very adversarial. And I'm sure that you are all aware of the, the bar ongoing bargaining with the CNA union at Alameda Hospital. It's been a year. Um, they went on strike for one day. We did uh, support and participate in that. And it's the tone that is coming down to us is not leaving us with good foreboding feeling for future talks and negotiations. And it is our hope that there can be some change in relationship between labor and, you know, the hospital workers, the, the backbone of the hospital. You know, we're there for the patients. We're, we're the ones there listening to their complaints about lack of staffing or lack of, you know, just common decency sometimes. And we're not getting anywhere in negotiations with CNAs. And if the, the course that was set on the first day of bargaining is the continued attitude that is going to be coming into every meeting, I don't see it going very well. And that's not what we want. We want to be able to work together with management to come together as a as one for not only us in management but for our patients. And we we need help apparently getting getting meeting that because it's not I know we had one meeting, but I'm I'm telling you it's if this is the the way that it's going to be presented at every single time, it's not going to go well. And that doesn't, that's not what any of us want. And we really are asking for guidance and help in the department with um, labor negotiations for not just us and, you know, CNA, we have all other contracts that are going to be coming up and it's going to be affecting all of us if this is the conduct that is going to be becoming from management towards the workers. Thank you for your time. Thank you.
Uh, Doug Jones, long, uh, lifelong resident of Alameda County, 25-year worker at uh, Eden Medical Center. Uh, for most of the, that period of time, I was part of the public health care system as a worker at a, uh, a health care district hospital before it got taken over by Sutter. Um, enjoyed the uh, company of uh, uh, Trustee uh, Chicoin when I was on the uh, Measure A uh, Oversight Committee for a couple of years. Um, and uh, uh, in my participation uh, at the, um, uh, the working group that uh, uh, Supervisor Chan has assembled on Medi-Cal and other issues, enjoyed the company of uh, the CEO and uh, uh, Director Lightfoot uh, in terms of talking about uh, Medi-Cal reimbursement rates, uh, and uh, lots of other issues that are important for the public health care system. Uh, our union, SEIU UHW, uh, has been a leader on the Medi-Cal issue in particular and other fundings for health care services. Uh, we are in, you may remember, we were in a partnership with the California Hospital Association in 2014 where we worked very effectively to move the state legislature towards increasing Medi-Cal reimbursement rates. So, uh, President DeVries, we care very much about the very issues that you're talking about. Uh, when uh, when employers and labor go to the table together and go uh, to uh, lobby legislators and the governor, uh, we've shown ourselves to be effective and we're encouraged that in the last couple of years Medi-Cal reimbursement rates have finally, finally started to increase. But they're nowhere near where they need to be and that's one of the challenges that the uh, healthcare system faces. Um, uh, I worked, during the period of time that I worked at Eden, I uh, was involved in one negotiation session uh, while being represented by SAIU UHW. Uh, that was after uh, Sutter Health took over our facility. Uh, the first bargaining session uh, for that negotiation didn't go well. And that negotiation session went on three and a half years, two strikes and a lockout. <laughs> so I get worried when I hear on the, my members say that a initial bargaining session had a really bad tone and didn't go well. Uh, our members have shown by their participation in a sympathy strike along with CNA at Alameda Hospital a couple of months ago uh, that they're interested in defending standards for healthcare workers and the patients that they take care of. So um, these workers, just to make sure that you understand, uh, you know, our organization uh, you know, will help these uh, uh, members uh, defend uh, their patients, their families, and their standards. So, so we're hopeful that uh, negotiations will go better in upcoming sessions, and we're looking forward to continue to work uh, with the healthcare system to deal with uh, funding issues. Thanks. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for staying throughout the meeting. Yeah, appreciate that. All right, now we are adjourned to close session. Thanks. The board adjourned, uh, adjourned from closed session at 9.15 without any decisions that need to be reported publicly. <laughs>